and uh, turn one, he brings in Teddy. I punch you for five irreducible, five irreducible, it's dead. First activation of turn two, I punch Candy for six irreducible, four irreducible, she's dead. Later in the turn, Rusty does 10 damage to Zoraida with her gun, and then uh, uh, like Ashes finishes it. It was just like... That seems good. Yeah, I mean... Uh, <laughs> one understatement. There are just some episodes of this podcast that I think you have to listen to more than once, and this is one of them. Um, We've got three really strong competitive players um, talking, and not only do we go through all the different rounds of Nova, um, how they, you know, their path to podium, but um, it's the side conversations I think you're going to really enjoy. Uh, There's a great discussion about clean play, an outstanding um, segment about uh, how to handle games that um, are finished because of time, not because of turn five, and then at the very end, we really get into um, how you can handle a situation where maybe you and your opponent start off on the wrong foot and uh, maybe how you can uh, reset. So lots of um, really interesting knowledge here. Um, I think if you do get a chance to listen to it more than once, you'll you'll realize that uh, you missed some uh, interesting points uh, the first time. So uh, enjoy. strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends every week third floor wars delivers useful strategies discussions battle reports and reviews to tabletop games like malifaux if you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing you are in the right place Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're talking with the three people that filled the podium at the Nova 2019 Grand Tournament. That was the first event for season one of the USFO Tour. Now my guests are Cody Hyatt, Oliver Borden, and Stephen Bynum. Now, Cody won the entire event. He comes out of the Carolinas Conference. Um, nobody here at the Carolinas was surprised to see uh, Cody take the win. He's uh, proved himself to be a strong player here in the Carolinas, and uh, it was nice to see him translate that to a win uh, you know, out of conference up in the capital city. Now, he's been a guest on our podcast as well as one of the competing players on one of our live stream games. So if you've never seen the YouTube uh, stream that uh, featured Cody playing his Tara, um, make sure you check it out. I'll have uh, links for it in the show notes. And then, of course, uh, not too long ago, we released a deep dive on Tara, um, and that has some really good insights. Uh, Tara, I think, played a role in in Cody winning, and uh, it's what he took to uh, the final table in round five. So, uh, Cody, welcome back to the third floor. Thanks for having me, Craig. It's a pleasure yeah. to be back. It's always great to talk some foo. <laughs> Good. Now, our next guest is Oliver. Oliver Borden, he finished second, and he was a guest on our episode when we talked with the Eastern Virginia Meta about how to build a community. Um, he's the henchman that really kind of shepherded that Eastern Virginia Meta from just a handful of people to, I don't know, Oliver, how many regular players do you have now in that area? Yeah, we probably have about 15 or 20 people, I'd say. Um, with a core group of about 10 who are playing every week. Yeah, that, that's a big success story um, in my mind. And I see a bunch of you guys are coming down uh, for the tournament here at the Carolinas uh, at the end of the month. 
Yeah, we have four people right now who are planning on coming out. Um, so uh, our wooden spoon and uh, two of the other guys who, who didn't get a chance to play at Nova. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Well, welcome back to the third floor. Our third guest is Stephen Bynum. Now, all of you are familiar with Stephen. He's been on the show several times. He finished third, and uh, he's probably best known for his deep dives on Marcus, Molly, and Yan Lo. And he was also on our first of hopefully many Malifaux Expert Roundtables. Uh, I'm going to have a link to that particular episode in the show notes, because if you have not listened to it, it's one of my favorite episodes uh, that we've done so far, and it's also one of the most popular or most listened to episodes that we've done. So, Steve, welcome back to the third floor. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Overall, it was a great event. It was awesome to get a couple good days of Malifaux in, as well as meet a lot of the guys in person. And it was really kind of neat for me, because uh, that was actually the first time that Steve and I had ever met in person. Um, as much as he and I have uh, spent time together talking about Malifaux, it was uh, good to meet you in person. And more importantly, uh, it was good to meet your son, who is also a competitor. Yeah, I know. He had a great time meeting all y'all there as well. Had a great time getting in some good games. Of course, it's worth noting for the audience that Craig did manage to slip out without buying me that beer yode. But that just gives me <laughs> leverage for the next time we do this. So not only am I bad at foe, but I'm a cheap son of a gun too, huh? <laughs> That's the rumor. We'll have to set some of that to rest. That's funny. So, guys, my plan is to kind of pick the brains of these guys. Um, honestly, this episode could be six hours long and we wouldn't be able to cover everything. Um, so we're going to try to keep it, um, you know, reasonably uh short lengthwise, but um, I also think there's some interesting insights. Anytime that you have an opportunity to have three players um, who performed well in a grand tournament over five rounds. So we want to kind of learn what some of the key takeaways were. Uh, what did they, um, you know, learn uh, from the games that they won? What did they learn from the games that they draw or maybe even lost? And what did they discover about maybe some of the other keywords out there um, as they got to play them in a very competitive environment? All right. So let's start with round one. Now, the pool was uh, plant explosives and standard deployment. The schemes were breakthrough, harness the ley line, hold up the forces, assassinate, and vendetta. Cody, let's start with you. Now, you play Tara, uh, and you played him into Dean Bills, who, uh, for those of you that don't know, Dean is uh, a pretty accomplished player from M2E. We haven't heard much from him in three, and uh, he brought Vix into you. Um, and I see that you finished with a 5-5 draw, yep. and we want to kind of get an idea of what happened. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty good game. So uh, for everyone at home, uh, this was day two of Nova. So the day before, I had played Terra three rounds in a row with the fixed tournament, and so going into the first day of the GT, I had already p had my master sort of planned out, and this was my Terra round. I was going to try and play uh, a different master each round, at least on day one. And uh, Terra is just exceptional at plant. And even more importantly, uh, the pool had Hold Up and Vendetta. And that's, if you listen to the Terra Deep Dive, those are some of my favorite schemes. And um, the quick version of that game is that uh, it went really well for me early. Uh, I was able to get Bishop, who had two bombs on him, down to like four HP on turn one. And that was also my Vendetta target. So I scored the first point of Vendetta on turn two. Uh, the part where I missed... Uh, I, I guess you could say my misplays for the game and it probably what is more valuable for the listeners at home is uh, around turn three, I thought I got a hard whiff of his vendetta. I thought he had picked vendetta against me because, so I had a prospector and Karina 
both on one flank. And uh, so, so I think my, you can maybe correct me here, but I think my read was right. I was just, uh, I just didn't think past the read. Uh, so he goes uh, with his Ronin to attack my prospector. So he walk charges my prospector. I go, oh, he has manipulative, by the way. And he looks, he, he like looks at the table hard and he thinks, he, he sort of thinks about it for a bit. And then he goes, um, hmm. Okay, well, I'll walk charge Karina. Now, in my mind, Karina is the way more valuable target to kill. It was the obvious thing to go for first. And the fact that he sort of paused when I said that the prospector had manipulative made me, it made me think, oh, wait, does his Ronin have vendetta on my prospector? Uh, now, if you're, if you're an outcast player and paying attention, those two models had the same cost. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't a valid Vendetta target. So I thought I had a good read on Vendetta, but that wasn't the case. And I spent way too much Master AP and uh, stuff I, in AP. I could have been spending uh, planting bombs trying to stop a Vendetta that didn't exist. <laughs> so that was sort of the story of mine. What was his second um, choice? It was Breakthrough. And uh, oh. very obvious when Big Jake pops up turn five and plants a scheme right under his feet, right in my deployment. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I spent a little too much AP chasing a read that turned out to be wrong. So real quick, Cody, uh, talk to me about any adjustments you made when he announced Vix as the master. Um, or did you pretty much take the same crew you were going to take anyway? I kind of had a pretty standard crew. I was, uh, I was going to bring Talos anyway. And I was, um, thought that that was even better against Vix because he can just put them in the ground if need be. Yeah. Um, anything, um, people should watch out for when they when they face vix was there something that you did as far as deployment or some moves you made uh because they can be they can be nasty yeah they could be super nasty um i think they're in that pool of masters uh that is is sort of there's a lot of masters in this pool that i'm really finding out as we play more games and it's a master that is very threatening on the first like three turns and then very good at scheming in like the last two turns mm-hmm. because I think what the VIX are really bringing is that six AP yep. when you have both of them. And so in the later turns, their ability to, you know, walk, walk, drop a bomb, something like that is, is, is really something you need to look out for. Plus they're, you know, they they have the traditional VIX threat bubble that if you walk into, you're afraid you're just going to, you know, eat it. Yeah, if you think that uh, 5 AP from Tara in, uh, is good, you should try 6 AP from uh, yeah, right. Vix. It's more more than 5, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're, we're good at math here at the yeah, third yeah. floor. All right, so Oliver, now you played Mottucket, and you yep. went, against, uh, went against Alex Beffrey, um, and he took an Envy-led Crossroads 7 crew. We had a couple Crossroads 7 players in this tournament, and you won 8-0. to zero. So the first thing we need to understand is how did he not even score a single point? Well, uh, I think you know, my opponent uh, made a bit of a mistake uh, just in list building. Um, he brought no stones. So I, normally I wouldn't critique necessarily my opponent's list, but he was playing a list with almost entirely henchmen, and he had a single soul stone miner if memory serves. Um, so that, that did generate him one stone in the initial turn, and I thought he was. I think he thought that he was going to have more time. Um I don't think many people understand how Ma works right now. Uh, so just to speak on that briefly, she has about 24 to 27 AP worth of actions in her first three AP. She puts three focus on every one of your models and then you shoot them off the board. Yeah. So uh, you basically put everyone within three inches. You horrible, horrible holler in, 
everybody gets three focus. Um, you pass really aggressively so they don't see it coming. And then you just focus shoot, I don't know, like 10 or 12 times and their whole board's dead. So it's basically what happened there. Um, he moved up, he pushed around, he did some things. And then I pushed everybody up into range. He moved the last of his few people. Um, and I just focused shot and cheated Spears in and killed like half his team. Oh, was that turn one? Yeah. I killed That's his master brutal. before he activated two. Um, oh. Yeah, I had a 13 and a 12 of Rams. And since Ma has the ability to cycle six cards on turn one, you can throw all of your garbage away. Um, yep. So, I mean, you draw two cards off her Tome Trigger, you draw two cards off Stones, and then you draw two cards off her Tome Trigger off the Pit Trap she drops behind her. So you're just almost guaranteed to have a pile of, like, face cards. Uh, yeah. So I just put a 13 of Rams in, focused, uh, and then you beat him, obviously. And then that's Crit Strike on a Bushwhacker. So you do Severe, that's like 5 or 6 damage, and then you just do it again. Uh, I did that twice on his Master before it activated, and it just auto-died. So, yeah, that's brutal. Uh, it was about the third or fourth activation. He's like, it doesn't matter. I can't win. And then, I mean, that's about how it went. Oh, so you guys, the reason it ended up really being 8-0 is he, kind of, he scooped? Oh, he said that early. Uh, he still killed all his models. Um, we played it out until I hard-locked him, uh, which was about three or four activations into turn two. He had two models left, and I was forcing them to stay alive for hold up your forces. Right. Um, and he's like, yeah, I can't get away from these soulstone miners. Um, so... And I just kind of locked him down. I was slowing him with Big Brain Bren. Um, so his whole team was down to basically two models at the end of turn two. Oh, that's brutal. And for those of you listening, uh, there's a couple things. One, Oliver's starting up a, um, a, a live streaming YouTube channel, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Um, and uh, he's a good person to pick uh, brains with on uh, Bayou. He's going to be doing it with John Fox, who's been on the show as well. Uh, the other thing is that we're going to be uh, cornering Oliver to help us with the uh, Ma Tucket, um uh, deep dive so you can look forward to that in the future yeah she's now, a Steve, weird one yeah she's she's different and uh it'll be interesting to see you know as people adjust i think there's um you know two things that happen with bayou one there's not a, not a ton of people that played it which means the play testing was the play testing and two people don't quite know how to play against it yet um i mean we only really have one bayou player down here in the carolinas right um and he you know he won a tournament with him um and uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, as, as time plays out um, and I'm doing everything to fight the instinct to, uh, you know, say OP and untested well, it, and stuff like that. If it like does that, make so. you feel any better, um, I'm the first one to say that I think Bayou is ahead of the curve. Uh, but second, uh, I did find significant weaknesses to Ma throughout the tournament. Good. Um, we'll talk more about those round five, but round two is significantly more difficult than I expected it to be. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll get into that soon. Now, Stephen, you took one of my favorites, and I know one of your favorites, Doc McMorning, and you took him against Zach uh, Willoughby, and who brought Karis, who's a master you're very familiar with as a dirty arcanist. Uh, and you had a nice win. You scored eight points. He scored four. Um, uh, the first thing I'd be curious to know is, uh, with that pool, why was Doc your choice? So, from the start, I was going for Iron Scorpius. And McMorning was my choice for round one based on my prioritization for the other rounds, really. As I looked at the Masters, I thought I was going to need for the strategy and scheme pulls in the other round. That left me with round one as the option round. I had a few different Masters to choose from. I really wanted to preserve the other Masters for the later round, so yeah. I took McMorning into that. Uh, it was the right match for the pool. It was still the right match when he revealed Arcanus. The experimental crew's got a lot of maneuverability. 
the tools to deal with conditions on a limited basis. It's resilient. It can deal with armor. Um, it matches up real well into that. I took Doc, Chihuahua, Rowan, Rogue, a couple Contori, a nurse, and a gasser. And really, it was the maneuverability that made all the difference in the game. I play Karis, like you mentioned, so I knew how to attack her and the crew. Yeah. Zach, Zach played a slower but tankier version of the crew than what I usually play. And that allowed me really to focus on outmaneuvering and isolating pieces of his crew to get the advantage earlier. By the end of turn one, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please go ahead. Um, by the end of turn one with a double Contori and with Doc, I was virtually able to clear one side of the board, Oof. taking out the fire starter, taking away two of his bombs, planning one of my own, and getting on Mc- McMorning on Kara's first turn and starting to get damage into her. Yeah, I, um, I ran McMorning twice over at, at Nova, and uh, in both cases, my opponent great grossly underestimated how fast the experimental crew is. Yeah, absolutely. Really fast. With, with the Contori, with Ride With Me, with Doc and Doctor's Orders and some of the other tricks you got, too, it's a deceptively maneuverable crew. It's got a lot of other tricks, too. I generally don't like machine crews, as I believe mm-hmm. you, you can't afford the AP that a lot of them require to set up the crew. But this one does it really quickly with just a couple activations, and you can stack enough poison early that in this match, it really neutralized the impact of his burning and the limited damage he could do. Really, the only thing I could have done differently in the game would have been after I established the lead in the first couple turns to circle back with Doc and a Contore to try to chase down Carlos, who was his point scorer in the back for breakthrough and a couple of Mm -hmm. bombs. Um, But, you know, I, I, I balanced the choice there. It was guarantee the exchanges on the rest of the board to preserve the eight points for me, vice creating some less advantageous exchanges to separate up my crew and go back after Carlos. No, Oliver, I already know the answer to this question for you, so I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to ask Cody. Cody, um, how did how did this match up uh, compare to say the other four that you did? Was this kind of you had you know three or four that were harder than this? Was this one of your easier ones? Um, we know it was a tie, but I'm curious to know. You know, how, how tough was, you know, was Dean in the VIX compared to your other three, four rounds? Uh, I'd say it was one of the hardest for sure. Um, it, I Spoiler alert. I mean, I won my other games, so I guess the, the proof is in the result. But uh, yeah. yeah, it was definitely a challenge. The VIX, I don't know. The VIX are in a weird place. I feel like uh, they're either going, I, th- I feel like they're not going to have a lot of close games and Terra is just so non-interactive, which we'll get to later. Uh, I felt like I was in a position where if I was playing a, a more straightforward crew, I could have just put the Vix in the dirt and sort of had a an easier time. But in terms of the Terra-Vix matchup, I thought it was pretty uh, pretty even, and it was pretty uh, pretty deep. Yeah, and I mean, Vix are a factor, but I, I would be shocked if Dean wasn't a bigger factor. Um, there, there's a lot of muscle memory coming from over from 2E, and he was extremely competitive in 2E. Um, and I talked to Dean for a little bit and know that he, he hasn't got a ton of 3E games in under him, but um, he walked in knowing the rules. And, uh, you know, there's a reason that Dean, uh, his brother, you know, Duncan, Travis, Alex, a lot of the guys, that really this was their first hard uh, competitive 3E game. They actually, you know, did pretty well, um, unless uh, you're some of those 
Of course, they all dropped, uh, but that's a whole other separate issue. Um, all right, guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back from the break, we're going to kind of dive into round two. And I think one of the things as we're kind of going through this to remember is, you know, round one's kind of a crapshoot. Um, you never quite know who you're going to get. It's random. Um, as, as you go through the rounds, um, things get honed and the, uh, the competition you face, regardless of where you fall, is going to get closer and closer to your level. Um, so I think things are going to get a, bit a lot more interesting the deeper we go. We'll be right back. So we got a round under our belts. We've got two two people. We've got Oliver and Steven with some nice wins. Um, we've got Cody struggling with a tie, but uh, we know how that story ends. So let's talk about round two. Round two is Reckoning, and it's in flank deployment. The pool is search the ruins, dig their graves, take prisoner, outflank, and claim jump. So, Oliver, uh, spoiler alert for everybody, you took Ma again. And as a matter of fact, you soloed Ma uh, throughout the whole event. And I think that was more tied to uh, you hadn't had a ton of time to paint a bunch of stuff uh, more than you just wanted to solo her, right? I'm still a pretty new player, um, to be honest. I mean, I started when the beta did. uh, So, and I'm really uh, fastidious about getting my models built perfectly. I hate building models uh, because I get all the mold lines off, all the little bits, everything. Um, so it takes me a long time to build stuff. It takes me even more to paint. Like I try to paint to a really high standard. Uh, so yeah, I was just kind of, I tried to get Zerata done. I got all of uh, Spawn Mother and her babies done. And I was like, all right, let's let's uh, let's just do Ma. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- there's nobody uh, at Nova that was disappointed by the fact you didn't get Zerata painted up. So. Yeah, I did, uh, I did one friendly game that evening and it resulted in a, a weird place post. So... <laughs> <laughs> Oops, that was me. <laughs> so now, speaking of tough matchups, uh, Oliver, you went up against Travis Wayforth, who's a good buddy of mine. Um, for those of you that uh, have been in Malfo for a while, you know Travis as uh, the creator of the Max Value podcast, um, which is the podcast that doesn't that kind of got retired, and I miss it more than anything. Um, I thought Travis's podcast was one of the best out there. Uh, I have played Travis several times. Um, he is a, an extremely strong player. And uh, now you, he brought Doc McMorning because he was playing Rezzers. Uh, he's yep. known mostly for Guild. Uh, but you got a nice little win, a 5-3 win. Um, and was that your first time facing Doc McMorning? It was my first time facing McMorning, McMorning from like a competent player. Uh, sorry, John. Uh, but uh, yeah, <laughs> him being played like at the high level versus him being played when you haven't quite clicked on him yet is very, very different. Uh, I think like Steve was saying, a lot of people try and spin the wheels of the machine and that's not really necessary. You just kind of put a little bit of gas in the engine and it purrs. So yeah, it was a very scary matchup. I was pretty sure I'd lost the game from the first like two minutes in until like maybe the last 10. Um, so, I mean, I thought I'd lost that whole match, the entire match. So what turned the tables? Well, it started with, uh, he had the giant bird, which is terrifying. Um, it has a min literally three terrifying gun. 12. Yeah. And it's got a min three gun. I think I made, um, a little bit of a mistake in my list building. I put inferiority complex on two roosters and they don't really need it. Um, I was trying to kind of placate the terrifying. I had a feeling it might show up, but I think it probably would have been better to just not and just have either more stones or another model. Yeah. Um, but basically, turn one by the second activation, he was in my deployment. 
attacking one of my roosters and putting it down to four HP. Um, I tried to use little last to like bounce it out. I moved it, um, about four or five inches away. And then he like crawled across the whole board with some other creature and just ate that thing. So I was down a rooster before it activated turn one with three focus on it. That's a big deal. Yeah. Big, big deal. And, uh, I kind of just like sat, paused for a second, crunched. Um, I'm sure Cody saw that a couple of times. Most of our players like are old infinity players. So, we're very much like think about the puzzle, solve the puzzle, then act. Um, mm-hmm. So we're getting better at being faster about it. But uh, so I kind of just tanked for a second, and I was just like, okay, well, if I focus shoot, almost his entire crew is hard to wound. I can't cheat in severes. I can't min five people basically with roosters. I can't just like auto kill people. So I was trying to like unpack it and figure out what to do. And I just started kind of thinking about. It. I finally realized I just need to focus on my my defensive abilities and then just basically chud through people. So yeah. um, I got McMorning down to 2 HP, I think, at one point, maybe 4. I got him really low, and then he just healed up to max. And I was like, we're not doing that again. So I threw a big <laughs> brain. Yeah, it was awful. So I threw a big brain burn into him. I think a lot of people play that model as like some weird Ruse Goldsberg stack the deck machine. Uh, I think he's fine when you do that, but you have to be really careful because you run out of your deck and almost instantly. Um, I think Bryn is very much a tar pit tank piece that yeah. just counters their activations. Um, I think, uh, Steve played around it the entire match. He's the only person who respected that ability all, all weekend. Um, uh, I think, uh, Cody just stayed the hell away from him, uh, as well. He just was <laughs> like, nope, not dealing with that. So, uh, and I just kind of tried to like grind out the game. I mean, at the end of turn one, I was like, okay, I need to just focus on scoring and that's all that matters and just hope. And at the end of round two, he was like, yep, I don't score anything. And I was like, holy smokes, I might actually have a chance. (laughs) Uh, And I just kind of like crawled my way out of the dirty well I was in and just slowly got my way up. Um, He made a couple of small mistakes. Uh, I just kept throwing pit traps down. And eventually I was able to hit McMorning later on in the turns through a bunch of pit traps. It only triggers once, but he was behind a bunch of basically slow terrain. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of awkward for him. And then I ran a little last into him and like, just kind of stopped him. Um, just like here, eat this, uh, and he mispositioned one of his dogs slightly. I was able to shoot that. Um, I think I was on a double negative and then flipped a severe anyways. So got lucky, uh, killed the dog before it activated and then was able to score with that guy. Um, but yeah, I just kind of tried to crawl out of the muck and that was a hard one. I mean, he hit the bird in me, he had the chimera in or whatever the giant, uh, colossal beast thing. It's like, terrifying it's a uh, lion and stuff that thing was in me big morning road was necromancy. yeah road necromancy that thing's terrifying uh just like all the bad like it was just all yeah. bad and i was just focusing on scoring well and you know i think something for everybody to take away from that oliver um because and i i fall victim this to us as well as you walk in especially pools like this where you've had the pool in your pocket for a week or two and you've thought the whole damn thing and played the whole damn thing in your head a million times. Um, you know, you get smacked in the face and, um, it sounds like you did what everybody should do, which is stop, take a deep breath. This is not going the way you thought it would go. How am I going to win this damn game? Um, so credit to you on that one, Oliver. It was hard. It was really hard. I think that, uh, and Steve's game were the two hardest ones from the whole weekend. Uh, Cody's game was very much, it was like really hard and then it wasn't because <laughs> I lost. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, now Steven, I want to talk about your round two, but before we do, I didn't give you a chance to talk about some of your key takeaways from round one. 
Yeah, thanks. So really the biggest advice I'd offer up based on that game was when I look at what really made the difference between me and Zach and how we approach the game. You can't end up in a position where your opponent can pick the terms of the engagements. Yeah, That's really what happened. The way he had deployed, he was focused on the schemes. He was focused on what he thought he needed to do to score. But his crew didn't have the same degree of maneuverability that mine did. So that was able to allow me to dictate the terms and the pace of the engagements and isolate individual sections of his crew one at a time without support so I could get the overwhelming advantage in those exchanges. And that's really something you've got to be mindful of. Well, there's two things, Steve. One, obviously, um, we've got to record your uh, your Seamus deep dive. But the other one that I think that people would really enjoy is, because um, this is a subject that comes up on your uh when you're a guest all the time, which is, you know, picking the terms of the engagement, which is something that that when it comes out of your mouth, Steve, makes sense, right? But I think that you and I should start thinking about a way to kind of translate that into an episode because it's a big deal. um, And I think that you have a very unique perspective on it. So um, let's talk about you and I maybe uh, putting out an episode that focuses on that because I think there's a lot of people that have heard you use that term that have a general understanding, but maybe you and I can come up with some uh, practical advice. Awesome. Anytime you tell me when you want to do it. That sounds good, buddy. All right. So round two, you played Yan Lo and uh, you brought it into uh, Andrew McHenry, who uh, took Levy, which is scary. Uh, you squeaked out a win with a 5-4 win. Um, I, I Really, the first thing I want to know, Stephen, is a lot of times, you know, you have a one-point win and it doesn't reflect how the game went. Was it a game where you were happy to get out of there winning by a point or did you feel under, you know, you had it under control the whole time. Um, Levy can take you off the table. Yeah, it was a really good game. And Andrew was a great opponent. He did a really good job in the game. I would pour out the warning that, you know, all the guys in Florida need to be on the lookout because whenever he shows up, he's going to be a factor. You're right. I took Yan. Um, Yan's really good in reckoning, but Levy matches up to him really well. Yeah. So in my crew, I had Yan, I had the Porter, Azamu, I had the Twins, Manos and Archie, the Ryder and Chiaki and some Stones. Really, my lesson learned ties into that right there. And it's you can't get in the rut. That's kind of my standard reckoning piece. And even if you've planned that out, even if you've thought through this, even if normally that's the best thing for the crew, you've got to be able to option pieces out. And I didn't do it and it almost cost me. Um, Azamu was definitely the wrong choice for the game. I should have optioned him out once Andrew refilled Levy. Levy makes it a really tough game for Yan because he's got the ability to do irreducible damage. um, And he's got models in the crew that can shut down healing. What that really forced me to do is take more of an indirect approach and attack from the flanks so that he couldn't concentrate fire on anything with both Levy and Rusty and just systematically delete piece after piece after piece. The other key to success for me, besides taking a more measured approach and preventing him from being able to mass fires with Levy and Rusty, was I was able to focus my attacks in order to neutralize Ashes and Dust early, make sure I killed him in the range of Manos's Lantern, nice. which prevents a whole lot of shenanigans where you're having to fight through that over and over and over, and he's getting all the divisions, creation, coming back, etc., Overall, it was a really good game, and it was a close game like the score reflects. There were some back-and-forth moments in it. The The key advantage was, as I said, preventing him from massing fire, attacking on the flanks, 
even though I took a more cautious approach, uh, trying to shape those to give me the greatest advantage that I could in those exchanges. And then also, like we talked about with James before, it's picking those opportunities of denial. And I was able to deny him a point of reckoning on turn two. And when you look at the end result, that was the point that made the difference. We both scored some of the other um, reckoning rounds. We both scored part of our schemes. So it really came down to me being able to deny that point of reckoning right there on turn two. And that made the key difference. And, and the way the 3E works now, Stephen, and we've talked about it a million times, denying a single strategy point. And it's not just denying, but denying while you score. That, that one point advantage you get strictly off the strategy is a huge head start. Absolutely. So, Cody, you played your buddy Parker and you brought it into Stephen's son, Aaron, um, who uh, is pretty good with McCabe. Uh, you won 7-3. And uh, the first thing I need to know is how much of dad's game has uh, been in, uh, passed down to his son? Yeah, Aaron has clearly been in uh, the first floor, you know, doing some wax on, wax off with dad. You guys have been, must have been training because Aaron definitely had some mood, man. I was surprised. Um, it was, it, his turn one was pretty exceptional. You, you could clearly tell when someone has practiced their unpacking, you, like, yeah. I feel like unpacking and like figuring out your turn one game plans is so much a big part of this game. And he had that down pat. So I was playing Parker with like Parker's, uh, you know, super soldiers, you know, mad dog, Sue, convict, Woku, all the good stuff into reckoning. And he was playing, um, McCabe with Sadir, uh, Yasunori and uh, Fahatsu. So we both That's scary. Had, yeah. We both had very much glass cannon lists. So yeah. we were just going to meet in the middle and, uh, flip some cards and see what happened. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, so his turn one was very good. He got, uh, Parker down to half HP with some shots and, uh, you know, um, McCabe's gun. So he was slow with that net gun, which is a pain. Um, and, uh, so Parker was in danger going into turn two, but on uh, top of turn two, he goes first with Yasunori. Yasunori misses every attack into Parker. So I just heal up throughout turn two. Um, Parker's an efficiency master. So basically when you're playing him, he's, I think he's one of the easiest masters to play in the game. You just sort of move towards where you're going to score points while you're shooting stuff. And that's what I did. And eventually, um, you know, his stuff died and my stuff didn't because we're just sort of playing this glass cannon type game. And to add insult to injury, like what I love about Parker is you flip enough cards. Eventually that red pops up and eventually you flip severe on double negatives. Eventually you flip moderate on double negatives uh, you're you're wasting nothing in the deck. So, like for example, in this game, after after uh, sort of my reckoning sort of base was established, Mad Dog had a 22 damage activation, just because oh, he he just flips. Sometimes he just flips uh, double severe on negatives, you know, and yep. it has and that was only damaging two models with the blast. Like, I mean, damaging the model he directly hit in the blast. Like he just does that sometimes. Um, so yeah, that was that was my uh, Parker game. So so if, if if Aaron is listening right now, what's a good debrief from him? What are some what's some advice you'd give him? Um, so first off, credit to Aaron for playing McCabe, who is an incredibly efficient, strong master. But if you've listened to the McCabe deep dive that we did, you already understand that he is not he's not easy. 
He's extremely complicated. He gives you a ton of options. So hats off to Aaron on that one. But I'd be curious to know um, what you, what your debrief advice would be uh, for him in that game. Well, the one bit of advice I could say and that uh, your listeners could take away is one thing he did on turn one was Fahatsu took a walk action while stuff was in range for him to shoot it. And I've seen a lot of Thunder players do this because Fahatsu has that action to push everyone away within a certain uh, distance. And it's just the most obvious telegraph of claim jump I've ever seen. As soon as Fahatsu, I've seen uh, quite a few Thunder players do this where like I'll turn one, he'll take a walk action when he should just be blowing people's faces off with that crazy gun. And as soon as that happens, I'm like, oh, well, he got claim jump. So I can deny that. And once you get a whiff of claim jump, it's super easy to deny. Yeah, that that is a that's a scheme I'm still goofing off with, um, and I'm actually going to have Oliver and Steven chime in here. I think there's play into claim jump, um, but I'm starting to think that you can't score that first point in the first three turns. Um, so how, how about you, Steve? Do you, what what are your thoughts on claim jump? So I, I agree with that. Claim jump is not a scheme that I that I often take because, like Cody said, once somebody knows you have it. There are so many ways they can deny it. You know, whether it's you telegraphing before you score the first point or after you've scored the first point, you know, ensuring that they mitigate your ability to score the second. When I would take it, though, the exceptions are with things like Fuhatsu or Kojo, where you do have that push and you can clear out the space. But like Cody said, you've got to avoid telegraphing it. If you're going to do it with something like Fuhatsu, and this is something that Aaron and I had talked about before, you want to get the maximum efficiency you can out of him, out of using that gun to shoot at models, not walking. So you're chain ganging to get him in position to shoot. You're activating him late when you get the opportunity, and then you're pushing everybody away to get the point. With a model like him where you can clear the deck, and then you've also got the hill as well so that you can keep him up above full, it is doable. But you've either got to wait till late where they're not expecting it, and then you can grab it and be set for that last point. Or you just approach it early and then be prepared to be able to take that model out so you can save him for later to come back in. Oliver, how about you? Do, do you take claim jump? Um, uh, do you love it when your opponents take it? What are your thoughts? It's a really tricky one. Uh, I think there's a couple people who are really scary with it, uh, Zamu being one. Um, I think there's some people who can really go for it pretty easily. Um, you know, like Steve was saying, people with throws, uh, you know, Kojo. I think Lenny's probably pretty good at it because he can just grab you and throw you. Um, but, I mean, I'll be honest, I take it very rarely. Uh most of gremlins is a paper bag on fire so we just mm-hmm. die really fast yeah it's, it's hard for you to pick a model to put it on absolutely yeah we just fold yeah. um i would probably consider putting on georgie and olaf and somer maybe lenny because georgie can get up to defense seven and potentially defense eight which just means he's a bear to take down so but other than that there's not a lot of targets i want maybe gracie uh but i don't want people looking at her that much the one thing I'll add to that is, while I don't often take it, the one thing I would argue in its defense is, from an efficiency standpoint, it's a great scheme. It because is. Because all you got to do is show up, kind of like Outflank or some of the other ones. So you can implement whatever your plan is, take the actions you need to take with a model or with your crew as a whole to implement your plan and go after their targets, disrupt, score other things as well. And then all you have to do is be in the right place. But 
that place is dictated for you. So it comes with some risk as well, for sure. Yeah, no question about it. And the efficiency is definitely there. And um, the one other thing I'll throw out there, because this is a mistake that I made is be, and this is true of every scheme, but I'm going to bring it up with claim jump. Read, make sure you read this, this strategy or the scheme carefully because the conditions for one point are not the same as the conditions for another point. Um, and uh, the second point on claim jump is not nearly as hard as the first. Um, if you look at what the conditions required are, what makes it a challenge is the fact that they know who the claim jump target is. Um, yeah. But uh, that four inch, you know, things can't be close to you or three inches, whatever it is. That's only for the first point, not the second point. And I've taken claim jump and thinking that I needed to get people cleared out of the middle. And I didn't, I just needed to keep the guy alive. So uh, that that's something for you to keep your eyes on. All right, let's roll into round three. Now, again, as we getting round by round, things are getting um, a little bit tougher. And you're going to see as we talk about these opponents um, that each of these guys face, you're going to see that they uh, they're getting nastier and nastier. So uh, round three was a good uh uh, was really an interesting round. And um, I'm going to give you guys a link in the show notes to all of these rounds. Um, next time you guys are uh, in your area getting together and playing it on a Tuesday night, take some of these pools. A shout out to Owen. Um, Owen Best put together the pools for this grand tournament. I thought that they were phenomenally well curated. And uh, you should play them because they're really interesting pools. But this was Turf War on Wedge Deployment. It had Detonate Charges, Harness the Ley Line, power ritual, assassinate, and deliver a message. Now, Stephen, you took Seamus into this, and keeping in mind, of course, that you were doing Iron Scorpius, and you played somebody who um, I had an opportunity to play um, at Nova as well, um, and that was uh, Len Beeson from your same um, uh, Carolina, con- or I'm sorry, Capital City Conference, and he brought Zareda. Um, now, you finished 8-4 against a good opponent, a really strong master. Um, I thought Zareda was unbeatable. That's what they say on the internet. Yeah, that's what they say. So, l- like you said, Lynn's a great guy. It was a good game. I'll play against him anytime he wants to play. Hopefully, I get some other opportunities to do so. So, for the format, Seamus was my pick for this match for Turf War. I had learned my lesson for round two, so I didn't stay locked into the exact crew I thought I was going to take. Instead, I modified it slightly. I took Seamus with a whisper. I had the copycat, the emissary, two doxies, a nurse. And ding, ding, ding. Instead of taking the twins, I had good old Dr. Fresny in nice. there and some stones. So I didn't originally plan on taking the doctor, but when he revealed Zerata, I reached for the doc because that gave me another model that couldn't be obeyed. Still brought a lot of maneuverability with doctor's orders, a lot of killing power, and the additional AP I needed to make sure I could get the, the Stratton schemes. Structuring the crew this way allowed me to go hard on the Zerata side of the board and really start putting the pressure on him first turn. The Doxies were pushing models up to get to the markers. I was able to save the Doc and Seamus till late. Then the Doc took out his only arc node on that side of the board, and Seamus was actually able to start putting focus shots into her on turn one. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure, Steve. When you have Seamus and Doc McMorning down, breathing down your neck, that's hats off to Len, man. That's tough. Yeah, because, you know, when you look at it, Seamus is really the easy button for Dylan Wizzerata. She doesn't get her defensive trigger against shooting. And with his gun, all it takes is a couple of focus shots and a couple of severes to cheat in. And that's all she wrote. I mean, even yep. if she's stoning for damage, then with eight damage severes, you know, if you're taking focus shots, 
then you're going to be able to cheat in his stats higher than her defense. So two eight damage severes, you know, even with average flips for stones, she's still dead. You know, this was another game where the where the pool really complemented the strategy I wanted to take with the crew and against his crew. Uh, and it worked out. I mean, Seamus was great for this. He's maneuverable. And he was a good match against a master that can be tough for a lot of crews to deal with. Yeah. And I, I mean, and there's a lot of talk right now about how, you know, how good Zareta is. And I don't want to undersell. I mean, she's good. She's don't shaking. get me wrong. She's crazy. I'm yeah, she's good. Guys. She's dumb. <laughs> yeah, no, she's she's definitely good. But but she's I'm not ready to call her broken yet. And it, and it's because I've seen good players like Steven handle her and I've seen bad players like me handle her. Um, so she's got uh, she's good. But I think that you just can't go into it with your standard game plan. So credit to Steve who said, you know what, I, I'm not going to play this the way I thought I was going to play it. I'm not going to bring the crew I normally did. And for Steve not to bring Manos and Archie, you know it's serious business. He's making some adjustments at that point. So credit to you, Steve. That's a good win, man. Um, all right, Cody. Um, at some point, I guess uh, the guys decided you were going to play the uh, dynamic duo of Duncan and Dean, uh, the Bills brothers, um, who, again, have uh, made quite a name for themselves in M2E. I hope that uh, we see a lot of them in three. Um, and I had a really good conversation with Duncan um, at the very end of the uh, tournament, and uh, he noted uh, how much he enjoyed the game with you. You brought Levy into this pool, um, and he brought Pandora. Uh, you won 6-3. Um, I'd love to hear how this played out. Yeah, um, yeah. I also played Dean in the fixed tournament the day before, so at this point, I'm 50, 50% of my games are against Bills Bros. Uh, <laughs> so uh, That has been interesting. <laughs> so... Going into this uh, this day, I wanted to play Levy the round before, and I wanted to play Parker this round. I audibled out of Levy because uh, I, I'm not trying to play Levy into Shenlong. So when I saw that it was 10 Thunders in round two, I just uh, audibled out. And when I got to the table, I saw that Aaron uh, just had the, the McCabe crew painted, but I still wanted to sort of play through my own little thought exercise and not play... Uh, Levy in the thin, uh, Ten Thunders and play Levy in this round, and it was a good choice because I, th this is a. I mean, this was a classic Levy tabling. So by the end of round five, I had Levy, Ashes, Rusty, um, Marlena, and one other thing, and he had no models left on the table. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, turn one, he brought in, he he pushed. So he had Zoraida as a second master in this list, actually. And uh, turn one, he brings in Teddy. I punch it for five irreducible, five irreducible, it's dead. First activation of turn two, I punch Candy for six irreducible, four irreducible, she's dead. Later in the turn, Rusty does 10 damage to Zoraida with her gun, and then, uh, like, Ashes finishes it. It was just like... That seems good. Yeah, I mean... Uh, <laughs> what an understatement. Playing, so, like, <laughs> when Levy gets to punch stuff, oh, it's so good. Like if, yeah. you, if, you're, if you're bringing death five stuff, because he's only stat five. So you, you don't want to be spending his health resource to be punching stuff that's higher stat just in case. But when he gets to punch stat five things, he's, he, he loves it because it's just guaranteed kills. Um, and that's, that's the point of advice, I guess, uh, when playing into Levy is if he gets to spend that health resource that he's spending on all this irreducible damage and getting in getting like maximum value out of it, then it's just a bad time. Like you have to make it where he spends health to get a positive and he doesn't get anything out of that attack. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to make that, you got to make that an expensive decision uh, on their part. Um, and, you know, we keep, everybody talks about Levy, uh, how good Levy is, and he is good. Um, but really, we should run him into the same word. It's Levy Rusty. Um, Rusty is nasty. Yeah, Rusty's pretty good. The whole keyword's a little undercosted. Ashes is insane, too, for nine stones. Rusty's pretty darn good for set, uh, nine stones. I don't know why she's moved six. That's the weird, that's the, the busted part about yep. her for me. I don't understand. It doesn't even compute in my brain. Um, Marlena is really good when Freight yep. Jones, especially in the things like Rezzers, like Steven mentioned before. Um, Levy's got a lot of tech. He's got some bad matchups lurking out there, but if you can avoid them, he is he is a phenom. He's a force. Well, and, you know, Cody, like I said, you know, you end up winning this event, and uh, I don't think anybody could criticize you for having soft opponents. Um, so congrats on that win. Um, uh, Oliver. So, uh, going into that round, you decided to play Ma, which is an interesting choice yeah. considering that you stole, <laughs> sold her. A lot of well, in- Yeah. But speaking of tough opponents, so last round you face Travis. This yep. round you go into Alex Schmidt, who, um, you know, a good buddy of mine. Um, and, uh, really glad to see him, uh, coming back to Malifaux a little bit, though, uh, you may have, you might have ruined that. Um, I hope not. <laughs> it, it was a mirror match. It was Ma against Ma and, uh, spoiler alert, you won eight zero. So how did that come down? Yeah. So first off, a bit of fanboy. Uh, the second Schmidt started coming back, someone in the Bayou chat, uh, the Bayou bonfire, by the way, you guys are welcome to message me all at you. But, uh, someone was like, Oh my gosh, this guy's back. You've got to listen to him. So I queued up all his episodes. I was moving at the time and I was just hammering them on YouTube while I was like trying to transport boxes and stuff. So I was super excited, uh, to get a chance to meet him and to get a chance to play him. Super awesome guy. Um, and uh, I went into the round, and I, I knew he was just coming back into the game. Uh, I'd heard some of his comments on Ma in his YouTube video. So I had some scouting, um, and I thought some of his thoughts were wrong. So there's some weird things on Ma that you don't see unless either someone shows you or you put a shit ton of games into her. Uh, and at the end of the day, I just had a feeling that he probably wouldn't have the time to do it. So right off the bat, there's two key points in Ma. You can either go towards the foundry attrition aspect, where you're basically making giant bubbles of annoying one damage, uh, and then there's the, I'm going to focus a bunch and I'm going to shoot you out of your deployment. And so when I saw his list, I knew that he hadn't quite split those different uh, teams apart. So he's running survivors and a few other pieces that are more in the foundry attrition plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I had a feeling he was going to be bringing roosters. So I automatically queued up two bushwhackers cause they have stealth. Um, and I basically just countered his list. I had a feeling of what he might bring. Um, I brought stuff that basically would counter Ma. I know Ma super, super well. I've been playing her for a couple months just to play him for the tournament. A lot of people think rooster riders are melee models. I had a feeling that might be an assumption he was leaning towards just based off some of his comments in his videos. Um, their melee basically ram to like reattack uh, and then get a positive to the flip is really enticing, but they're not, they're not uh, defensive enough to actually survive going in like a rocket like that. So I played them very much as basically giant gun platforms that after they're wounded some and kill everything near them, they just run around and scheme. So basically what I did, I set up, I forced him to deploy first. 
Um, then I set up my whole team and I kind of knew it was, was in when he kind of looked at me and he was kind of confused why I was setting up everything three inches apart when he was confused yeah. by that. I knew. So, um, again, focus bombed, focused everything. He charged into me with a couple things. Um, I counter punched him, uh, at some point on the second turn, he had a rooster in me almost immediately. I, I wounded that pretty heavily. He killed my rooster. I made a mistake scampering. I just almost didn't scamper almost the whole turn. I was pretty bad at it. Sorry, guys. Um, but turn two, there was a point where he had two roosters near me. I cheated to win activation, and Gracie had three focus on her. Oh, Gracie had a bunch of damage on her, but if she eats something, she heals. So mm -hmm. I attacked one rooster, focused, moderated, killed one rooster, had a red joker in my hand, focused, attacked the next one, cheated severe on red after doing crit strike, did seven damage to the second rooster before either of them activated. And I think I like laid a scheme down or something or charged something else. So it was just like one activation did like 10 damage, killed two, three activation models. And then it was kind of like all she wrote. Um, he had one kind of chance to start coming back. And then I focused with Ma because she got ride with me with Gracie and uh, basically landed a, a giant blast over uh, the survivor that could kind of get him out of it and blew him up too. So he didn't have a ton left after that. I think he was tabled at the start of turn three. I think he had like one model, um, but I killed almost his whole team turn two. He basically tried to fight my deployment and I could just kill him. Yeah. And, and none of this is, takes away from that win. Cause I, I don't care who you are. I don't care um, whether it was the first time that uh, Alex Schmidt had opened up and looked at the cards um, beating Alex Schmidt and wiping him like that is a big deal. Um, but it was a bad matchup. It was a bad matchup for Alex because not only had you had a lot more experience with your master, but you had a lot of experience with his too. Um, so your ability yeah. to kind of suss out his game plan, I think, was a big deal. But uh, that's a big win, Oliver. You should be very, very proud of that win. Yeah, I um, hope he – your comment about him not playing anymore, I hope he doesn't not play. I hope he doesn't do that. He messaged me and said – No, no, he messaged me and said that really that, that kind of the tone of the player base has changed. Um, oh, no. And uh, he, he doesn't feel re really good about kind of the – direction things are going so i'm kidding uh, yeah, <laughs> no. I hope that, yeah all the new blood just coming in and bloody in the news yeah no no i actually you know what i haven't had a chance to connect with uh alex uh, since that game but um i i i think as much as alex may want to stay away from malifo um there's a reason that uh he loved it in two and those reasons have not changed i it's predict the same game. about uh yeah, I predict the same about Dean and um, and and Duncan as well. So uh, Travis is a flake. So who knows? What's I, going I will to say there, just but. a comment earlier. You guys mentioned that you don't think Zoraida is broken. I'm gonna just plant my flag on that hill and just say she is. I've played a lot of games with her. She's no longer in my bag. Much to, <laughs> to the vote to my entire community, she's on a shelf in my closet. Uh, well, I'm just, I'm just, they, I'm just they, putting that out there. I think that's I'm not saying you're wrong, Oliver. I'm saying bring your painted Zerata down to North Carolina and see how you do uh, here at the end of the month. <laughs> yeah. we, we may have to have a, a whole separate discussion on that because I, I will definitely fall into the camp of I don't think she is. You know, oh, wow. I, I think like a lot of masters that she has some really good matchups. There's some things she excels at. And she's one of those masters, if you don't know how to play against her or you don't have the right tools in your crew to play against her, you're going to suffer. Now, we, we can certainly agree on, as a second master, she is. 
and the whole second master concept's a different debate to begin with. But as a second master, she is definitely um, abusive and just brings all kind of capability and some really ugly combinations. But solo master, I don't really know that I've seen anything yet, except maybe some of the thunder shenanigans that I'll say are really that far out there. Well, and and I agree with you, Steve. But to uh, to flip and give Oliver a little um, credit here too, Oliver, I haven't played a great Zerata player yet. I've played some really good ones, um, yeah. so uh, it's possible that I could sit across the table against your Zerata and come and and call her an Arcanist I when think, we're done. I think so. she's also really, really significantly better in Bayou. Just throwing that out there. Like I don't, I think she's good in Neverborn. Like she's really good in Neverborn, but in Bayou, she's just utterly filth. Hashtag body's broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think I'm a little bit in both camps. I think that uh, I haven't seen anything that really makes me think she's super busted, but I also think that uh, there might be an... I think we need a few things FAQ'd around Obeys in yeah, general. Agreed. And I agree. If that goes through the pipe, you know, we'll see. Plus, third edition is just so new at this point. Yep. There's there's so many unknowns still out there. I, I don't know about Cody and Oliver's experience or yours, but multiple times over the weekend, especially when we get to round four, once I shut up, you know, there were things <laughs> I'd never seen and had never played against. Yeah, where you know it was in stride learning as we're building the airplane in flight, trying to figure out, you know, what does this crew do? What do these models do? Because depending on your meta and most of my my games prior to a month ago you know had been out in arizona with a really limited meta and you know oliver alluded to some of this cody alluded to some of this as well you know within your play group there's only a certain number of players and factions and masters and this early in the format you still run into things you've never seen and you know that can cause issues both directions yeah, no question. And, you know, it, um, and it, I may end up being wrong, guys, but I'm telling you, it's the players. Like, I, I, I heard, I've been, I'm in the Arcanist chat. Um, don't say much. What? Um, <laughs> what? And, uh, there's a, there's a bunch of cr- crying going on there, not because they're just Arcanists, but they're crying about, you know, we didn't see any of our masters in the top. You know, we were, you know, we're, we're underpowered and stuff like oh, that. Jesus wept. Hey, Karis <laughs> took second place on Friday. Well, here, yeah. Karis was undefeated on Friday. Steven, I went out and said, and I said, look, I'm telling you right now that Steven getting podium would have happened with Arcanists as well as Rezzers. Um, I still believe, guys, that the player is going to determine the fate of how things oh, play yeah. out. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Yeah. There's too many decision points. There's too much choice. There's too many things you can make a mistake on. Uh, absolutely. You can run that plane to the ground way better than you can fly it. No, I agree. And it's it's I'm not saying that everything's even right, that every master is the same and everything. There's definitely going to end up. We're going to see the tiers appear. We're going to see certain models that are undercosted. We're going to find other models that are never taken because they're overcosted. Things are going to settle. But, um, you know, going out there here a couple months into this and saying, you know, uh, and this is unbalanced. It's broken. It, it tells me you haven't been playing. Um, that's all that really tells me when you start preaching that. Yeah, I think there's a lot that you can you can wiggle around and work around. Um, I know me and my meta, there's probably three or four of us who are playing hyper aggressively. I mean, we're playing like two, three, four games a week and there's everybody else who's playing, you know, one or two games a week, whatever. Um, 
and it, there's a couple things that have kind of shaken out of the laundry and you're like, Oh, whoa, why are there spiders in here? Um, but a lot of it's pretty reasonable. And I think a lot of it can have counter picks to it. Like I said, Ma, if you have a lot of hard to wound, it's really rough on you. Um, yep. you know, in the first time I did the focus bomb on someone, they were like, I, what are we playing war machine? Like, what is this? I'm sure it felt like that. And, you know, something that's interesting, too, and uh, it's something that I noticed, Cody, or Cody, sorry, Oliver, and it's because I had a chance to play a couple of your uh, buddies that were up there, um, and you and I played, is I have never seen anybody take so many stones. And it wasn't just you. You took a ton of stones, and all your buddies were taking a ton of stones. And and that's fascinating to me, because that is something that I haven't seen elsewhere. You guys are doing it and you guys have, you know, kind of had your thing going. You're a little bit of an isolated meta. And it's, it's, and part of the reason that USFO Tour promotes and really gives a ton of points out for people that play cross meta is for that exact thing. Because I don't know if taking eight or 10 stones is the right choice or not, but you guys aren't going to figure that out in Eastern Virginia. Right. You're only going to figure it out by coming down to the Carolinas and going up to Pennsylvania and people coming in and playing in the capital city. That That's the only way you're going to sort out whether you should be bringing eight, ten stones to every match. Yeah, it's like the Madagascar thing. Like, why do we have so many weird animals on this island? Uh, you know, you get an inbred meta who just does weird things, and sometimes it's really good, and sometimes it's an yep. inbred meta. And I think a lot of that... Again, almost my entire meta is either Magic players or Infinity players who've kind of exodus from a dying game, uh, you know, so or prior to a new edition anyway. So, and we do weird stuff. Like, I mean, almost all of us bring heavy stones. Ma is the only master I play where I'm playing with one to three to four stones. Almost every yeah. other master, if I don't bring seven, I think I'm making a mistake. You no, know, I'll agree with him, though, because for me, it, it's very master and crew dependent. There, there are masters where I will take three or four with, but there are a number of masters across the factions I routinely take five or six. Mm-hmm. And once we move into game four, I had seven stones in that game myself. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was interesting, Steve. I mean, Oliver, I think you and I played a pickup game Thursday, and I think you brought Zip, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and you had like eight stones, and I was like, huh. Yep. <laughs> I had not seen that before. And then to play – um, a couple of the other guys, great group of guys, by the way, uh, a couple of the other guys, it, that was something I saw consistently. It wasn't isolated to just you. So uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. And it uh, sounds like Steve's already uh, been playing with it as well. Um, all right, guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to really get into the meat of this thing. This is when we start getting into rounds four and five, and the level of competition really turns up to 11. So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd Edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code third floor to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes.
All right, guys. Now we're going to get really, like I mentioned, into the meat of this. This is round four. Uh, it's corrupted idols, standard deployment with detonate the charges, dig their graves, hold up their forces, take prisoner and vendetta. And I mentioned it with the last round. This is another really interesting pool. Make sure you guys uh, play this one at, at home. So, Cody, you played Tara and you played uh, the wandering monk Johns, Leanne Lowe. And you finished with a 5-3 win, which is a big deal against a quality opponent like John. Um, he's a strong 10 Thunders player. And, you know, getting into stuff that we've kind of talked about, John's played since several metas. He travels a lot uh, to play. So taking, you know, I understand why he took Yan Lo. I can see why you took Tara. But how do you deal with such a hardy crew like a Yan Lo crew? Yeah, so going into day two, um, so actually at the end of day one, we were sitting around dinner and uh, Steven was with us and we were talking about who was going to keep trying to do uh, Iron Scorpius. And going through day one, I had plans to do Iron Scorpius going into day two if I could sort of make it work. But there was a huge gap between my top three masters and like number four, five, and six. So um, going into day two... Uh, my roommate and I, which is Jesse Watson from our meta, we were actually in a weird situation where one of us was going to play John Goldburn and uh, and then the other was going to play you, Craig. So yep. the night before uh, the round four, we we're like, oh, what do I play into Craig's Molly? Oh, what do I play into John's uh, Shin Long? You know, um, so we were kind of sort of uh, brainstorming. And I actually land, I was I was sitting there thinking, how am I going to do Iron Scorpius? It's like, if I get Craig, I could probably play Victorious because Victorious will trigger Craig. And then I'll <laughs> off of him being tilted. And then if Steve wins, I think Hamlin's good into Molly. You know, we were just doing all this mental math. And I eventually just decided to play Terra uh, yeah. for the Terra deep dive, which we did right Quitter. after Nova. <laughs> Quitter. So I was like, if I play Craig round four, I'll play Terra. And then when we do the Terra deep dive, you know, he'll have played against her. And uh, <laughs> I didn't even end up playing you. Excuses. And, and to give everybody kind of a setup, because it, it was really interesting. So we're, we're the end of, uh, you know, the first day. We're going into round four. And I run into John in the and in the elevator, and I hadn't realized yet. John goes, "We're tied," and I'm like, "Oh, okay." And he goes, "No, like literally, we're tied. We have the same victory points, the same diff." And I bring it up on Best Coast uh, pairings, and I look, and like we're identical. And then I look to see who we're going to play against, and it was either going to be Jesse playing up or Cody playing down. And there was just, it was literally going to be a, a coin flip on whether I was going to play Cody or I was going to play Jesse. Honestly, no, I didn't want to play either of you yeah. uh, because both Jesse and Cody are very good players. Um, I ended up playing Jesse. Um, it was a miserable game that I lost. It was my <laughs> only loss. Um, and, uh, you know, Jesse's a good player. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was it was weird to to, to kind of go through that planning. And Cody, I, I'm behind your decision, man. I think that uh, you can um, you can go for Iron Scorpius, and I think that's great. And I admire Steve for you know doing it. But at the same time, and Stephen did it, and he made podium. Um, if Iron Scorpius had costed Stephen the podium, I would be telling Stephen that that was the wrong choice. So I think you made the right one. And going into day two, like our differential. Our situation in terms of differential and placement were was wildly different. I just didn't see a road where I beat Steven and not win the tournament. Where I beat Steven on Iron Scorpius and not win the tournament. It, right. Does that make sense? Because yep. he was he was playing top table round four, and there's no second place for Iron Scorpius. So, you know, yep. just decided to opt out of it. 
Um, um, so key takeaways from yeah, yeah. Uh, that game. Yeah, so I played John. Um, I want to say that he was a very exceptionally clean player. That was one thing that stood out about the game. At one point in the game, I actually paused him. I'm like, John, just I just want to stop you for a second. It's just a treat to play against someone who's this clean because we we're playing I'm a huge a, fan. A very weird table, and he was taking care to uh, move things yep. carefully. Uh, the story of this game is actually a very weird one uh, because on turn one, I saw uh, ten cards in my hand, and none of them were above an eight. And oh. I'm playing Terra, who's a summoner, and I need eleven. Um, but because I knew my deck was hot because my hand was so terrible, um, he actually pushed really far forward with a Dawn Serpent and a Lone Swordsman, I believe it is. And with a hot deck, I was able to kill the Dawn Swordsman and uh, I was the Dawn Serpent and his totem on turn one. And then at, in turn two, I killed Manos with Terra, which is, I feel like, a very uh, not very punchy crew just because I had a relatively hot deck. So the summoning engine, the summoning sort of point engine was broken early in turns one and two, but I was able to actually get way up on him uh, attrition-wise because of that. Um, and I was way up on attrition, but he just kept uh, cheating in a ram because he had way more, way fewer models than me, so he had way more pass tokens to put the uh, idols in the center of the board and Yan Lo with yeah. 15... Hundred abilities once he gets five. Up, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the wordiest. How are you supposed to remember his twenty abilities? It's insane. Uh, he's just sitting on top of all the markers, saying, "No, you can't take any of this." So uh, I had to get my schemes where I could get them. Yeah, I played against John Zian. Uh, I think it was round two, um, and he and I tied, um, which is what what made the fact that he and I were tied at the end uh, the end of round three even funnier. Um, he made um, a, a small mistake, which allowed me to tie him by getting too aggressive with Yan Lo against McMorning. Um, and Steven and I kind of talked about it, man. When when you, uh, when I'm playing McMorning and you come to me, I'm a huge fan. Um, and uh, so it sounds like that uh, John got a little aggressive with you as well. Um, but uh, a five three win against John is a big deal, Cody. So a credit on that one. He's uh, he's a good player and. Boy, oh boy, I cannot um, back you up enough on the clean play. I've played John, I don't know, three times now, twice, at least twice, if not three times. And it, it, not only is he just a really nice guy, but to your point, that clean play, he tells you everything he's doing. He tells you what card he needs to flip. He tells you what the ability does. He rolls with whatever's going on. And um, he just he's a pleasure to play with. Um, and he's good. That, that was something uh, so. I noticed uh, Cody, and, and I didn't get a chance to see his game, but Cody was also a lot like that. And I think that that was something that was really alien to my community and my group. And I know that's something I definitely want to encourage my players to focus on a lot more. Almost like that guild ball level of like, I'm doing X, yeah. Y, and Z at every point. So everyone has full information. Um, I know there was a point in Cody and I's game where we were just both confused and just frustrations arose out of that. And I think that Moving forward, just making sure, again, communication is clear. I do X, I do Y, and just that clear intent makes such a better game for both players. Because like you guys are saying, like you want to play at the highest skill level and you want your choices to make decisions in the game and make impacts on the game and not anything else. And I was really impressed by that with everybody else. That was my big takeaway from the tournament was just I need I know that's my, my big weakness. I include information because I just assume everybody knows what I'm doing. And that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's the challenge in playing in an isolated meta. And that happens to a lot of us. 
is we get so accustomed to playing with the same people so often that they understand how we play and what our intent is when we take actions. But then when we go to an event like this, where you've got so many people that come from different play environments, you don't have that same level of mutual understanding. Yeah. And I think there's a, a, a huge benefit to playing as open communication, open intent um, as possible when you're going to competitive events. That's something that I'm absolutely going to dedicate myself to moving forward. And I think that that's really just super beneficial to the community as a whole. I think that that's something that we could really just absolutely steal from Guild Ball. Those people play like just the highest level autists, you know, <laughs> just everything <laughs> is happening at every moment. And you just, everyone knows it's like watching like a play by play on ESPN. And I think that that's something that I think that the, the, just the meta as a whole, just the community as a whole can really benefit from. And I know I'm going to be pushing that out of my players. Well, and, and Cody, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but real quick, Oliver, um, that's going to be the difference maker between, because Malifaux is still a baby. It's going to be the difference between Malifaux becoming Warhammer 40K competitive play or Guild Ball competitive play. And I would rather us become Guild Ball competitive play, which is um, a far more civil, less gotcha, open information, let's play, let's have fun, and let's let the best decision maker win. Uh, go ahead, Cody. Yeah, the sad fact of tabletop gaming in general is, is you can, if you want to, you could cheat to win and no one can stop you. But, uh, I mean, because you could just fudge movement here and there and everywhere. But I consider clean play to be a personal goal rather than an obligation to your opponent. Mm -hmm. And yep. if you don't play clean, you'll never know if you won based off your strategy or your skill or memorization or whatever you consider an important fact for winning the game. Uh, and to relate that back to the game with John, we spent like five minutes trying to figure out if there was a place where Terra could leap and be outside of three different models melee range. And we spent like five minutes. I'm like moving my widgets perfectly. Oh, I think it's right here. And then I dropped the widget and bumped Manos. And I'm like, all right, I didn't get it. Sorry. You know, and I just feel like that's something I had to do because otherwise, you know, I'm not going to cheat him out of a cheat myself yep. even, you know. No, I agree. And and to play clean, um, Cody, I think is a sign of confidence, too. Um, you know, I, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to tell you what my intent is here. And I want to have the confidence as a player that I think that this isn't going to cost me the game because I don't think the game hinges on whether you realizing that, you know, McMorning's within an inch, but outside of you know, half an inch or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever the intent was, uh, I'm going to beat you because, you know, I'm going to outplay you. Um, so I think that's, I think that's very important. All right. So the big, big matchup, we're here round four. We've got two people playing each other and we're guaranteed that the winner of this game is going to end up at the top table. Um, we don't know at this point who the other person's going to be, but it's, uh, we've got Oliver versus Steven. And you guys went head to head in round four. Um, and you guys have listened to each other on podcasts. You've watched each other, uh, uh, post on Facebook. And so we've got, uh, Karai, who's strong against a strong Mod Tucket. Um, I was shocked with the score, guys. The score was three one. So Steven, uh, the first thing is, you know, you being held to one point's a big deal. Can you kind of talk us through how that happened? Sure. First off, Oliver played a great game, and he walked away the winner. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> he, made, he made most of the right decisions in the game in the face of adversity, and I got off my game on turn three. I took a really ap aggressive approach, knowing you have to take his crew apart first 
with the intent of scoring later. So as, as you said, I took Karai. Karai was the right choice in my assessment, playing into the ma focused gun line. You have to be aggressive playing against that. You have to get in quick, attack from the flanks around Brenzora or from medium range so that you can get your triggers, so that you can be effective and really go in on him fast because a lot of his crew really isn't that resilient. If you give him the time to pick the engagements, allow him to mass fires, then you're going to lose the key models in your crew and give him a commanding advantage for the rest of the game. By going in fast, by putting things in their first turn that could tie up and engage multiple models, by taking out Gracie and then tearing into his shooters as quickly as possible, Mm -hmm. I was able to deny him a lot of his capability. And this worked. By the end of turn two, I'd pretty much taken his crew apart, but I hadn't managed my time well. Part of this was a product of I'd only played one game against Bayou and M3E, and I hadn't played Ma. So I really spent way more time reading cards and trying to figure out what some of his models could do when really there were a few of them. It didn't matter what they do. I had the right tools to kill them. So it didn't matter what the card said if the model only had one wound left, right? Um, I also spent went into the game with really a, a turn four strategy. And then when time ran short, like Oliver talked about in his game earlier, I should have taken that time to reassess and properly order my activations for the last turn. You know, when the conditions on the ground change, when the facts change, you reassess, you reevaluate, and you adjust your approach. Instead, I didn't. I still had that turn four strategy, even knowing we didn't have the time. So Oliver played it really well. He shifted gears well, and a couple of mistakes on my part kept him in the lead. Um, he played a great game. I look forward to placing him again or facing him again and us playing the game again. I think Cry was the right choice. Yeah. For the first two games, I think I did everything absolutely correctly, um, but I lost sight of the time management piece and really didn't take the time when I needed to to reassess the proper activations. Going into turn three after the first couple activations, his hand was empty. I had all the key models left. We talked later, and there were a couple different ways I could have done this that he probably couldn't have denied, but... One of the key tasks in winning a game, one of the most important things in being successful is you've got to be able to properly assess, adjust your game plan as required, um, and play it under pressure. And I didn't take the time to reassess at the right opportunity, and Oliver played a great game. Yeah, So, and and that was, I think, Steve, uh, probably that and my McMorning game, man, the Reserve players really put it into me that weekend. that was a really hard matchup. I think that's probably just a tough matchup for Bayou as a whole, which I didn't really see or expect. Um, I made some pretty key mistakes, I think, that allowed Steve to to have as much of the, the game he did against me. Um, I just kind of overlooked Molly's ability to pick up markers, so I just yep. gifted her a, a bouquet of pit traps right around her so he could draw up to <laughs> like a full hand, like I think twice in the game after he was at zero cards, and that was a huge mistake. Um, all those people are ghosts. I should just put the pit traps like way further up. Um, again, that's just you, you kind of like you guys are saying ignorance uh, against a master. I'd never played against Kirai. Yeah, you know, that's just the long short of it. I've got probably a hundred and probably 150, 120 games of, of 3E now. 
and I've just never played Gear Right. We've got two Reds Masters in my community. Um, one was my old roommate. He doesn't get a chance to play a ton. And we got John, who's still a newer player. We're trying to train him up, trying not to put Archie and people's deployment on turn one. Uh, <laughs> you know, love you, John. But, uh, you know, it, that was a very hard game. I, turn one, I made a really significant mistake, though. Um, I overcommitted with Gracie uh, early. Uh, she had three focus on her. And uh, Kirai's Totem kind of came into me. I got a little nervous about it. And instead of committing Bryn into her, I committed Gracie into her and killed her. Yeah. Um, and I shouldn't have. I should have just left her alone. I was worried about Datsuba coming into the crew. Um, and after she died, she immediately resummoned, came back in, and ended up killing Gracie. Uh, and, you know, Gremlins is kind of like a bag of cockroaches. You know, you can hit someone with it, but when you break the bag, we just got to scatter. And that was the thing. Like, mm-hmm. Steve just, he broke the bag. And at that point, I was just, okay, go to the edges, try and score, focus on getting points. Um, and throwing Bryn into it. And I threw Bryn right into the middle. I used him like a gravity well. I just kept moving people into his, uh, to basically his engagement range. There was a part where uh, I was able to hit someone with a soul stone miner, teleport them six inches after they were summoned, and then leave them in Bryn's melee. I think that that, that was a really significant turn of the, the, the game. Um, and I just focused on denial at the end of turn two. I scored those points. Um, I was two to zero, and I just thought, okay, all I have to do is deny as aggressively as possible. Um, and I think that you know that's something that's really significant in the third edition of the game. I, mean, I played very little of two E, as in like two or three games, uh, <laughs> enough to basically be like, that's enough of that. We'll play when the new edition comes out. But I think denial is just everything. It's the only reason I was able to put up, you know, the board on the second round and against Steve. It was an extremely hard game. Um, I think the only mistake Steve might have made, and I can't see his hand, so I don't know if he did make a mistake here, was I was able to force a lot of the uh, idols to just drop on the right corner right near my deployment. And there was a lot of like kind of shrubbage and mine carts and all sorts of other garbage in the way. Um, and he was on the very opposite side of the board. So they kept dropping right near where the engagement was happening on my line of the scrimmage. So you've got the front line and you've got kind of my weak stuff in the back and they're able to kind of go over and interact with those pit traps. And all I had to do is throw one or two. Steve, did you uh, not have the hand to cheat those or? So on, uh, on, on turn two, I didn't, I didn't have the hand to cheat that. I, I later drew into the cards I needed with Molly later in the turn uh, on turn three. Two of them were right next to each other. Those are the two that I would have been able to come after. The What it came down to was, like I said earlier, I really had a turn four approach. And then when I realized we were only going to get turn three and that I should have reassessed, yeah. um, it, in that game, by the first couple activations in that turn, he had went with Ma, he had went with Bryn. I was still in a position at that point where I could have brought um, Molly up, done the irreducible damage to kill the Soulstone Miner, and then I had my choice. I could bring Karai over to push both markers um, unopposed with her 3 AP because she could get to where she could touch them both, take some damage from a pit trap, um, or she could buy your side to pull a Gorio out. But because I was still focused on the game plan I was going to use for turn three mm-hmm. going into turn four, I didn't play that right. So I'd activated the Gorio before I activated Kara. 
um, I had done something different with Molly. I couldn't have changed where the markers were earlier in the turn. Okay. Um, but had I taken the time to reassess turn three, uh, once I knew turn three is all we're going to get, and then there was two different ways I could have done it that could have allowed me to deny his third point, pick up two of my own, possibly three of my own with a dig their graves as well. But I didn't take the time. You know, I didn't do the proper assessment. And once you've activated the, when you have a sequence that's dependent on three or four models to do the right things. And at that point he's activated out, he's out of cards. It's got to be done in the right order because once you do the first one out of order, then, okay, now I don't have the range. Now I'm not in the position to, you know, move the second model to do the buyer side, to pull the other model out, you know, and at that point it was, you know, as soon as I made the first mistake, I, I told Oliver, I was like, you know, I just made a mistake and that cost me the game. Yep. I was like, I'm going to tell you what it is later. And, and you know, we went ahead and played crazy. That's two crazy to me. Yeah. And we went ahead and played two or three more activations um, because there was another way I could have done it, but I needed a suit that I didn't have in my hand to do it. And, you know, when it was over, you know, we talked later. It was a great game. I, I still wouldn't change what I did the first two turns. I think yep. that's how you have to play against the mock crew. I agree. Um, but you've got to balance time and then you've got to have the familiarity with it so that you're not losing time and opportunity to try to read and figure out what different cards are doing. And, the- and you know. Yeah, this ties into what Cody talked about, which is the clean play. And this yeah. is something um, – so and – and I saw it coming a mile away. So you're, you, uh, there's already one or two posts on a weird place about, you know, why don't you guys play with the clock in Malifaux? And people are – then I got uh, on the YouTube uh, channel, someone made a comment about, uh, you know, what's stopping me from playing three activations and then doing nothing for three hours or two hours until the thing runs out and – this comes up, all right. It came up. It, it comes up every six months, and you hear it's being said again and again. And my my answer for this is very very simple. And I'm I'm anxious to hear both Steve, uh, well everybody's um, comments on this. This ties into clean play. So when I'm in a tournament environment, especially now with new to M three, by the end of turn two, you know how long the game's going to go, because those are the two longest turns. Turn one and turn two are the two longest ones. You have an idea of how fast you're playing. You have an idea of how fast your opponent's playing. You know how much time's left. So at the end of turn two, at every one of my games that I played, all five, six, seven, eight of them, I said, okay, we're probably going to get to turn end of turn three. We're probably going to get to end of turn four. We're going to make it through turn five. Whatever the situation was, I talked to my opponent before the start of turn three about how are we going to handle this? Are we going to call it with 10 minutes left if it's at the end of the turn? Are we going to say that's if we run out of time at turn three, is that last turn? And when we score second points for schemes, are we going to talk through the turns that are remaining and say, I could have done this, I could have done that, and figure out what a five turns would have looked like? I don't care what the decision is. But before I start turn three, when I'm on the clock at a tournament, I want to know what the plan is. I want to know, am I playing for turn three being the last turn? Are we going to talk through the turn five? Do I need to make things really obvious? 
right. so that that's a very easy discussion. So it's something for everybody here to think about. Before we start talking about chess clocks and all that stuff, I'm going to bring it back to clean play. And if we end up in a situation where this becomes a problem, we, we can deal with it as meta. Uh, Steve, you were going to say something. Yeah, so I agree with that. And like you, I've seen all those same discussions and posts you know, come through and cycle once or twice, maybe more over the past year or so. And I, I don't think you can take some of those types of approach with Malifaux. It's too much of an interactive game that relies so much on actions on the part of both players. And you take mine and Oliver's game, for example. Did we play as fast as we could have? Maybe not. But we were both playing against things we'd never played. Yep. We were both playing against models we'd never seen. So we had to take the time to read and understand what the models were capable of doing. Then you look at both crews had a lot of models and a lot of complex interactions where in one model's activation, you might have two, three, four other models that are involved in taking actions and moving, you know, in, in being part of simple or, or opposed duels, et cetera. Yep. And that just takes time. You know, that's part of the game. I think the longer third ed is here, the more familiar everybody gets with the capabilities of each crew the familiarity, you know, with new models, with new abilities, et cetera, a lot of that'll clean up. If I was to ask for anything in a tournament, the difficulty in the games you play is going to increase throughout the rounds based on your standing in play. Um, I, I understand time. Time is required. You've got to have time constraints on a game. Time and time management is a critical skill that should influence the outcome of the game. If I could change anything about games, and this isn't based on mine and Oliver's game, this is just looking at, at tournaments and tournament games in general, it would be like it would be if we have a five-round tournament, if a five-round tournament is spread over two days, then to adjust the time by round instead yeah. of set, you know, and say, hey, you know, round one, two, three, you know, we're doing three games on day one. So those games are X amount of time, you know, on day two, if we only have two games and those are really the critical deciding games, uh, which is where you're under pressure, where you're playing the best players there are playing against the best players there, or at least the best players on that day. Um, it requires a whole lot more thought and decision making. So if we're only going to do two games on day two, let's make those two, two games 30 minutes longer, you know, or something like that. Um, otherwise, like you said, you know, I agree with Oliver completely. I agree with what you said. You know, time and time management's a key skill that's part of the game. It's part of tournaments and communication with your opponents, the key to making sure that it works out in a way that's equitable for both players. Yeah, I think the uh, communication thing is key. Uh, you know, coming from, again, just a, a very insular meta presently, right? Like we're the Madagascar uh, of the community right now. At least that's how I feel. Um, you know, a lot of alien uh, thoughts coming in from other games, new players. We don't really have veterans who are teaching us. Um, it's not something I actually considered would be an issue at all. Um, and going into the event, it was, you know, um, yeah. again, we're all, we're almost all magic players. So for us, like the second the clock ends, it's done. That's it. Like you need to pay attention to it and you need to watch your activations. And if you need to, sack pawn in order to score right now then you do it and then the game's over and that leads to interesting decisions and that's kind of how we've always interpreted it and then going into like pickup games and you know games in the events and stuff where people are like well i feel that we didn't get a chance to play all five rounds and that didn't feel good or the interpretation that 
you know, that, that led to a less, uh, valued game or it led to a, a less good game, which is really interesting to us or alien. Um, and I, I wish I'd taken that thought, Craig, and I just didn't even know to, to be like, Hey, okay, we're hitting round three. We got 45 minutes left or 30 minutes left. You know, what do you want to do about four and five and yep. moving forward again? That's something I'm absolutely me communicating with all my opponents just because it's so important. And I don't like gotchas in games. I hate gotchas. They're not something I like. They're not something that I think are good for any game. They're bad for new players. And I would much rather, again, I don't really care what the answer is. I just want both players to know it's the same answer because when you both think it's different, that's bad. Right. And if, yep. if you've made assumptions, that's on you, right? Like I made assumptions going into round five. I was like, okay. I think this is a turn four game and we played out to the, to the fifth round and that, that cost me a lot of points. Uh, I think that probably is what cost me a game outside of some pretty significant mistakes I made early. But um, I think that communication is key. And it's weird because again, we're coming into something brand new. There's things we don't know. We don't know. I could not agree more. And, and there's a couple of key points before we uh, move on here. One, um, this is a temporary problem. Absolutely. To Steven's point, with it, with it, with the game is w- wicked new, right? And um, <laughs> go back to the when you first started playing Malifaux for you two evets, and you know I know a lot of you are frustrated because you're used to playing five rounds in a tournament, and you're only getting in three rounds. Um, you forgot your first couple tournaments when you only got in two rounds or three rounds. Um, it's gonna it, it that problem is gonna fix itself. Yep. Um, that being said, you know even at the end of two e with veterans playing. Um, you know, you you would not see turn five. That that will happen, um, Steve. I'm going to steal your idea, man. I think your idea on a GT of having two hour rounds for one, two, and three, and three hour rounds for three and four is genius. And uh, everybody can look forward to the Masters tournament uh, for US uh, for uh, the US Pro Tour to use that exact format. Because to your point, Steve, it's not just that the top players are playing key games against key matchups, but everybody's playing at their level at that point, right? So even the bottom tables, even the mid tables are playing people that are closer to their skill level than they've played in the first three rounds. And giving everybody a little bit more time in round four and five, I love that idea, Steve. I, I will say, one, I'm glad you like that idea. But, you know, just, just to echo as we've discussed this, you know, Oliver talked about, and I'm sure Cody will weigh in too, about the impact of those additional rounds in his game uh, on round five, you know, and, and, you know, I'll say I feel the same way around about round four. You know, I went into it with a, with a four turn strategy, but, you know, I don't feel like we had any less game because we didn't get four yep. turns, Oh yeah. you know? Uh, I mean, Oliver played it well. I played it well, minus what some of the decisions I made on turn three. Uh, you know, it was a great game. We played within the constraints of the event, you know, and I don't feel like there was anything that that he, you know, or the event organizer should have done differently. I mean, we knew the rules of engagement going into the tournament. Um, you know, uh, he played, we played, you know, under the rules that were published for the event. I think we had a great game. Um, yeah, absolutely. It was definitely one of my two two toughest uh, but also two most enjoyable games of the entire weekend. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I look forward to playing against him again. Yeah, I, sure. I'd agree. It was a blast. And and I, we were definitely picking up a lot of cards. I had a lucky friend who was a 
uh, John, <laughs> the bad Rezzer player uh, for now. Uh, but I mean, he, he left cards for me just to be able to like read just that way. I wasn't asking to, you know, look at Steve's cards and, and that bought me a little bit more time. Um, you know, and that was really beneficial, but I would much rather us play a game to turn three or maybe even to start a turn four and like play both with full knowledge as opposed to get into a position where I'm like, all right, I'm going to put this model here. And then he like walks in a Brins, you know, knew you're going to do that field or whatever it's called is counterspell or right? yeah. like he's a counterspell for everyone around him. Fair. Right. Um, you know, but I would much rather that Steve was aware of that and playing around it like he did as opposed to him trying to rush and then not doing it. And then all of a sudden I gotcha him and then our game's flat because he made a mistake and I'm going to crunch on him. Like it, the game was way closer because I think we were both trying to be as aware of as possible. Yeah, I mean, it was a lesson learned about communication. Um, Cody, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I just wanted to sort of chime in with a, a, a little bit of a, a a more concrete opinion that I can have because I had the luxury of finishing all my games this weekend. And that's just that, I mean, like, it, it really sucks when fi- all five turns aren't finished. And we have to acknowledge that the whole time issue is a weakness of Malifaux as yep. a game. And just as, you know, using inches as opposed to spaces on a board or, you know, all of these things can make the game slightly more unclean and slightly worse. I don't want to say worse of a competitive game, but maybe something that would break someone's um, sort of illusions that it's a competitive game Mm -hmm. or something like that. And that is the time. So we can't sort of tolerate any attitudes towards... I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say exactly. I don't want to over say what I'm. What I'm trying to say. I, I think you're be. talking about gamesmanship and 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 playing yeah, time I, to an advantage. Yeah, you could just the community cannot tolerate any attitudes of using time as an yeah. advantage, just because it is a weakness of the game. And if we exploit weaknesses of the game, the game is going to be bad. Yeah, it just yeah. falls apart. Yeah. And and I think that there there's like I said that we mentioned a couple of times. There's a huge thread on weird place today. And there was a guy who was trying to kind of understand what I was saying when I was saying playing to the clock. And I think that they were kind of alien to the clock and they were saying like, well, do you mean like people playing slow or whatever? And I was like, no, when I say playing to the clock, I mean, I've got a rooster rider. If I walk it over there and put a scheme down, it is 110% going to get nuked, but I don't have a turn five. So I'm going to walk that joker over there and I'm going to slap that scheme marker down. Yeah. And I'd rather people be playing to that. And I think that that's fine within the game. But if a player is at a point where they're saying like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take an action for five minutes, five times or 10 minutes, 10 you know what I mean? Like that kind of, and there's a difference between us being new and there's a new game, there's a new meta and people playing against new masters, you know, that's a pressure that we're not going to see six months from now. Right. And I think that there's, it's going to kind of shake out the weeds, right? Like we're going to see, okay, were these people who are playing at this level, are they are they like seeing stuff they've never seen and they're just trying to crunch it and their brain's trying to process it versus like okay why are you six six months in and you're still like taking eight minutes on an activation that you've played seventeen times like what's like what's the truth here? Well, and and to, and to Cody's point, um, and this is this is a, a PSA to a certain degree where this is going to be up to us a little bit, yeah. so. Um, have some tolerance, be clear in communications as we get through this rough patch. Uh, but at the same time, uh, excuse my language, don't put up with the asshats that try to pull this off either. Call the TO over. Um, I've played against people that truly struggle to make decisions and I try to push them along and come on, 
you know, what are we doing? And I've also played against people who are just being asshats. Um, and at Cody's point, um, it's up to us to decide uh, what kind of community this is. Uh, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I agree. But I think the people that are going to try to abuse it are the minority for sure. I yeah, mean, you mentioned going back to two and there are some people who their tournament experience in 2E was that they didn't get full games. Your mileage may vary. You know, I will say the last event I played in prior to this, like, formal event was LVO. And in LVO, both for the – at least for the 2E event, the three beta event they did was a little bit different because you still had the same thing of, you know, some new players who had never played a single game of M3E at that point – on the 2E side, I think every single one of my games went five turns, right? Yep. Um, because right. the game was mature. There had been no new books or new models released in a given amount of time. So even if you hadn't played against something, you had had ample opportunity over time to look at and at least conceptually understand all the new models. I don't anticipate this is going to be as much of an issue when they do Nova a year from now. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think I think we're all on the same page, and that's good. Uh, it's a good time for us to take a break and really go into uh, the finale here. We're going to talk about round five, uh, where we're going to see Cody and Oliver battle it out, and uh, we're going to see Stephen play uh, a good buddy of mine, um, the person who whooped my ass in round four to uh, have the honor to play Stephen. So we'll be right back. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right, guys. So let's talk about round five. We've got plant explosives again. So this is the only repeated strategy. But this time in corner deployment, which is a completely different game than the uh, round one. We've got breakthrough, search the ruins, power ritual, outflank, and claim jump. Now, uh, my round four appointment, we talked about it. Um, John played up uh, and played Cody. And uh, Jesse played down and played me. Uh, Jesse and I had a really good game against Nelly. Um, I donated encourage anybody to play Nelly into um, uh, Corrupted Idols. She's really good, especially when piloted by um, one of the better guild players I've ever seen, uh, Jesse Watson. Uh, so Jesse beat me, and he, as, as a reward, got to play Steven. Um, so in some alternate universe, Steven, you and I played uh, in round five. But uh, you got to play somebody much more uh, challenging. So Jesse brought what I consider his strongest master, Lucius. And you got to bring what I consider your strongest Rezor master, Molly. Um, I bet that was a great game. You won by a point, 5-4. Yeah, so it, it was a great event. It was a great event and it was a great game. And it certainly could not have been a third floor wars covered event if I wasn't playing Molly in the plant explosives on round five. That's so, right. Uh, it, it was a, a great game. Uh, I, I'm not sure I'm going to say that that Molly is the best Reser Master. I love Molly. Molly's great for the strategy. 
Uh, and she was great for this pool overall. Jesse played a tight game. He's got a really well put together and well tuned Lucius crew. I went into this game with a couple concerns. Um, the biggest concern was the night before the tournament, we were both sitting next to each other at dinner. And I was talking about <laughs> what I intended to do and how I was going to play, what my approach was going to be for round four and five. So going into round five, when I found out I was playing Jesse, I, I changed up my approach and decided I had to make some changes in what I'd intended to take um, and alter how I would normally attack that game. So what ended up happening, to, to give you the short version, is I waited to see which direction Jesse was going to take with his, with his Lucius crew because it's a really tight-knit, synergistic crew that relies on a lot of inter- interactions between pieces. And then I put one big model on each flank um, as bait, waited to see what direction he went, and then I entirely shifted the other direction. I ended up yep. suiciding Archie into his crew to buy some time and try to tie him up. And then I went hard on scheming the other direction. It still turned into a really good game. Initially, my plan was to set up my points early. And then at the end of the game, once he started doing the same with reactivating Kruligans, I would blitz in, pick up all his markers, and deny him his scheme. But he had a trick for me as well. And that undercover reporter is a pretty good tech piece on his part. It's good. With, with his ability to do all the obey shenanigans and card manipulation to make sure he's got the tomes in his hand to pick up markers anywhere on the board, instead of me being able to blitz back in and pick up all his schemes to give me that, that wider margin of victory, I ended up having to pretty much double or triple down on every marker I placed instead of you know, one marker on three different pieces of train to score that final point of search, the ruins, you know, I ended up with, I don't know, maybe 12, 14 or 15 markers down so that there was no place he could pick up enough markers uh, to deny me. So as a result, I wasn't able to do the last turn blitz back in and pick up his stuff because I had to hedge my bets and cover everything to make sure I had the markers in place to score mine. It still came out to an incredibly close game as he tried to deny those points efficiently as possible. It was a good game. Jesse has clearly put in the work and put together a really effective Lucius list. I had an opportunity to play him in both tournaments. Um, I ended up topping him in the pre-tournament with Karis, and that was another close game, and then pulled it out over him in this one with Molly. But both of those games were were definitely two of the best games I've played in each event. And like I said, with, with Oliver, I look forward to seeing Jesse and playing against him in the future. Well, Jesse's a good dude. He's a clean player, um, like we've been talking about. Uh, and uh, as you said, Steve, he's put in the work. Um, the uh, the two models to watch out for, for those of you out there that are playing Lucius or playing against Lucius, are the undercover reporters. Um, and this is for Nelly, too. Um, but watch out for lawyers, man. Those lawyers have some sneaky, sneaky stuff going on. and they, They're really good. They, Oh, they're so good. Um, so we're going to be getting uh, – you, you guys already know Jesse from the uh, Third Floor Wars videos on Guild. He was one of the guests on all the Guild videos. And we're going to get him in to do uh, Lucius uh, here on the podcast. But uh, I'm installing. Uh, we've got the big game now. So final table. Uh, we've got Cody versus Oliver. Tara versus Ma. So really, I think the two masters that you guys are both most comfortable f- with 
um, epic. And in most cases, what's really what's really stressful about if you've never played round five um, and been on top table, what's really stressful about it is the person who loses this game typically is going to fall off the podium, which is brutal. Um, it's not what happened here, um, but that's what really ups the stakes um, for top table round five. Um, so Cody ends up winning eight five. Um, and I think this was the first time Oliver, anybody scored eight points on you right in the tournament. Yeah. Um, so I mean, basically uh, the long story short, he's able to deny me pretty aggressively in the last round, uh, last couple of rounds. And that, that made a huge significant difference. Um, and it switched pretty, pretty, pretty wildly. I think that I had the advantage pretty early in the game, uh, probably up until about halfway through turn three. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Cody. Um, I made a pretty significant error uh, in deployment, and I did not put a bushwhacker in one of the outflank corners. There was one which had a forest, and if I'd placed a bushwhacker over there, I wouldn't have to have um, thrown Ma into it. Uh, one of my roosters got caught up pretty early and ended up having to run in a direction I didn't want him to go. I would planned on using that model to get into the outflank, um, and uh, Cody basically shot him up got him down to one HP. And so I, I ran off to go drop a couple of schemes before he, he got toasted. And I, uh, basically slingshot Ma with Gracie and then ran Ma into the corner. And so I kind of took her out of most of the game. Um, I was able to kind of leverage and force lots of scheming early, but he just was slowly attritioning me down throughout the whole rest of the game. Um, and then basically just picked up all my stuff. So I think that if I had placed, that guy there, Ma would have probably been able to bully the center a bit more um, and kind of start those engagements earlier, uh, maybe take Terra down potentially. I had a lot of decent cards in my hand early, but I had to use them basically defensively as opposed to using them offensively, and I couldn't really take advantage of that, that leading position early in the game, and Cody basically just picked it up and kind of scooped it from there. I mean, he played really clean, really tight. Um, and he basically just kept his eyes focused on, okay, like I'm definitely down, but I'm going to keep forcing uh, scoring. Cause I was, I think it was, I was three points to what one point on turn two, Cody. Yeah. Uh, just to start from the beginning, I guess. Um, so uh, just cause you, yeah, you ran through your side. I think, I think it's, I, it's, it's interesting that you say that you had an advantage early. Cause I, I thought it was kind of the opposite. I thought going into turn three, I'm like, oh, he's got me in terms of really? points, but I was so, I felt uh, up on attrition. So just to start off before we actually get into the game, I want to just mention sort of my pre before game decisions. Uh, so going into round five, I was actually going to play Parker. And the reason being is because I think he has a lot of um, variance potential. And like I mentioned before, his ability to just flip regs and win games. And I'm, I'm not above in any war game uh, playing uh, respectfully to my opponent. Like I mentioned, uh, like Steven and some of the other cast has mentioned, like he doesn't take tape prisoner uh, because it's hard for him to score. You know, he, he doesn't want to leave anything on the table. I'm sort of the opposite in that if I know I'm playing someone of equal or better, better skill, even uh, I'm perfectly willing to take one of those one point uh, schemes or one of those, uh, you know, basically play for the one point win. Uh, and I think Parker is exceptional at that. So going into round five, I thought I was going to play Parker because I knew I was going to be playing a good player. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll just leave the leave it to the gods. I'll leave it to the heart of the cards on this one. But um, I thought that Oliver had Ma and Zip 
I don't know why I thought you had zip. I thought those were your <laughs> options. Probably because I played against Craig uh, in a pickup game with zip. <laughs> oh, that, that explains it. You heard me crying about it, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe that was it. That had to be it. But um, I, looking at that pool, I was like, this is the most obvious double Soulstone minor pool I've ever seen. It was Breakthrough, Power Ritual. Um, what what was the other one? Search the Ruins, and it's Plant yeah, and Outflank. Yeah, outflank, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Craig, hit up Shipman's salty statistics and look how many uh, <laughs> Soulstone miners are played in round five. I'm sure it was a ton. Uh so I basically bought Terra to kill Soulstone Miners, and I even brought in Mad Dog because when a Soulstone Miner was coming up, I wanted to shoot it with the Ignore Armor trigger. Uh, unfortunately, Oliver only brought one Soulstone Miner, but he did bring Grace. Yeah. So uh, to go back to the beginning of the game, turn one, I killed a Soulstone Miner with a bunch of punches from just because I can attack Buried Model. And I just didn't even think about it. That was my first game against Terra. Yeah. And in hindsight, I would have just brought Trixie instead and been able to push pull people around. Mm-hmm. And in, uh, at the at the end of turn one, I, I do the thing I mentioned in the Terra deep dive where I basically just play really conservative until you're out of activations. Terra leaps, make something fast, unbury the nothing beast, left a rooster rider on two. And then on turn two, Mad Dog actually got into Gracie. So... Going into turn three, I had killed the Miner, a Rider, and Gracie. And you had outflank, so you weren't going to be able to sort of threaten the center of the board that much. Uh, right. But, uh, like you said before, on turn two, you had like three bombs down. You had basically everything you needed to score your points. Uh, I just yeah. had the man advantage going into the rest of the game. So I had to be... Yeah, I think, I think at that point, I probably had like... Also, like six or seven search the ruins down. I know that forest had like three ruins on it. Yeah. And by the end of the game, you picked up every single one, every <laughs> single one of them. <laughs> He's like, nope, not none of them. This forest is getting cleaned out. <laughs> yeah, I had to be just hyper efficient with my um, my stuff in terms of scoring my points because we had the exact same schemes uh, right. to find out. We both had search and outflank. Um, yeah, so going into. Yeah, I think uh, you had a pretty early adv- advantage point-wise, but I just was able to leverage yeah. sort of a, a man advantage into the last turn. And then Prospectors, all my summons, Mad Dog ate a scheme, and... He, he used blew it all to hell, yeah. like, really effectively. Cause, so this is something a lot of people have started picking up on. You can search the ruins with terrain you create. So Bushwhackers, Ma, lots of people in Ma's crew, they can make pit traps. Pit traps are terrain. You can put a scheme next to a pit trap. Surprise, surprise, you can score off it. So um, there was one point where Ma had, like, just this little cluster of, like, three pit traps. Or, like, it was a pit trap and then, like, three different, uh, you know, pieces of terrain around. He just tossed a bomb in there and blew it all up. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, and, then, and that was the moment where I was like, man, I really wish Mod just beat the ever-loving hell out of that guy earlier. And that was when I started. It was like, okay, well, we, we threw our Soulstone Miner away early. We didn't throw a Bushwhacker in this corner. Um, I think I had, like, the very center of the board controlled. I had two Bushwhackers with, like, three or four focus on them. But he just played the edges in the whole game. Um, there were two big buildings. There's one to the left and one up top. Um, and he basically just hid behind them and like skirted the the sides until basically Terra would pop in at the end of the activation and pull stuff up and, and pick up my schemes and things like that. 
Um, so I didn't get a real chance to use Bryn aggressively. I couldn't really use him a lot to basically slow or disengage stuff or, you know, really just uh, eat activations like you normally can. Um, and I was just very out-activated. I mean, you'd, I think four plus pass tokens every turn. Yeah. Plus I, was, I had more models than you for most of it too. So basically there was a, a game where I would try and set up all these points and then he would try and take them down. And I felt like that was, mo- it was like this weird ebb and flow of the game where I would set him up, he'd knock him down. I was just trying to set up enough pins that he couldn't knock him down and I couldn't. Yeah. I think I, 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 there was no way I was going to be able to walk headfirst in a ma. I mean, her crew is just so efficient in the focus and the shots and everything you do. And mine is so inefficient. Uh, just, just on like a hand comparison, I'm sure your hands were way hotter than mine. Although my turn one yeah. hand was, was hot. I had red and two severe which was like a, a crazy hand for me, for a Terra um, situation. But yeah, I think uh, it was a good, it was a good game overall. Oliver played super well. So, I had an interesting perspective on the game. Um, I mean, I knew it was going to be a great game. Uh, I really uh, don't know where the smart money was on who was going to win the game. Um, but I think that there's something interesting that people, uh, I want to talk through a little bit, man, because I was able, I was in a unique position where I was friends with both of you and was able to have a conversation about this separately Um and really to kind of get both the perspectives. And so to bring everybody up to speed, uh, we're playing Nova in a, a, a this huge hall. Um, and it's the tables are gorgeous. There's a ton of people playing games. I mean, it's just, if you love tabletop gaming, it's, there's just, I mean, go, it's just amazing. Trains everywhere. The Lord of the Rings boards are there and stuff. It's, it's awesome. Crazy. Oh, it's just awesome. The one drawback is, is it's loud. Um, and, you know, you're three and a half, four feet away from each other and you have to yell at each other to communicate. Um, it's the only way to hear each other. And, and man, by the time I got home, my throat was sore uh, yeah. after, you know, two, two and a half, three days of yelling at each other. And I don't mean because you're mad at each other. It's just the only way to communicate. Um, so that's one challenge. Second challenge, top table, uh, round five, um, really, <laughs> I consider one of, if not the biggest event for 3E uh, up to this point, um, the two of you had been battling um, to get here. And uh, a lot was at stake. Um, and things started off on the wrong foot, I think, with the two of you. Yeah. And what I think is really neat, and I want to talk through it just briefly, is I want to talk about how you guys handled that. Um, so I'm going to start. I'd like for you to start, Cody, and kind of walk through it. And ob- obviously, Oliver, your perspective is, is key here as well. Um, but and, and I don't want to get lost in it because things did start off on the wrong foot. But I think the way that you guys handled this is a good lesson for um, other people to play the game. So, Cody, can you kind of walk through us? Yeah. So, like you said, it was loud as <laughs> as loud as hell in there, and I have bad hearing anyway. So, when uh, to the to start of the game. Um, I basically didn't understand what Oliver was doing much. I, I, I couldn't tell if he was saying what he was doing or anything. Um, and at one point, he goes to move a rooster rider around a silo and uh, sort of bends his tape measure. And uh, I'm sure, like in other like war games, like that's like fine. But I have a I'm I'm like I've 
mostly a war machine player and like bending a tape measure is like a huge trigger for me <laughs> so <laughs> when that happened i was like oh it just i was like uh you know i was basically like did he go through severe did he did he use his widgets yeah i'm like i was basically like can you use widgets um which sounded pretty innocuous in my head and i i talked to the to oliver about this a bit uh usually yeah. things that sound innocuous in my head kind of come out uh, uh like a dick because I just have like resting bitch face for, for a man. Um, so <laughs> usually when I say things, people like all of my best friends hated me at first. Uh, and, <laughs> so people usually have a pretty uh, rough impression of me to begin with. So I'm sure when I said, you know, like, you, you use widgets, you know, I, I probably was not a nice feller about it. And so he had, he had a, 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 pr- a pretty harsh reaction to that. Um, oh yeah. Full, full spider thread display. Like it's like, so, so just so like, and and I'm really glad that we were able to kind of like get through that game. Cause I'm like, I'm really looking forward to playing Cody the next time. And I learned like we said, clean play and like not including anything, not even intentionally, but just like speaking exceedingly clearly. But yeah, it was super loud. Um, I, the first thing that like triggered me on my side was like, I had like a half inch movement from Ma and the angle probably made it look like they were almost touching. And I was like trying to push Gracie up and he's like, you get caught on Ma. And I'm like, they're not even, there's like a half inch here. Like what's even happening? And in hindsight, like I looked at the board later from the other side and I was like, oh, there's no, like the models would have looked like they were touching. And so I was like, what what the, what the fuck? (laughs) I was like, come on, man. Like, what is this? And then when the, when the rooster thing happened. Just explain that too. It's like, and that was another thing where you probably couldn't hear what I was saying. And I, when you, when you go to move him, you, your tape measure was at like an angle. So all of, mm-hmm. so I'm like, so all I was trying to say is like, you're going at this angle, right? And I get out my, t- uh, get out my laser and stuff like that. And you're like, <laughs> he goes right through here. And I'm like, oh, uh, uh, I, he can't, you know, like we were both, good, we were both just like sort of yelling at each other about like yeah. the same, we, 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 we had agreement from the get go. But we oh, could, immediately. We yeah. And that was, uh, yeah. And we were in like, after like 30 seconds of like, what is this guy on about? Like we like the action finished in the exact place we were both assuming would finish. Yeah. But like both of our emotions were probably just spiked. And so then I, I go to move the rooster and I, I've been the tape measure. Cause again, I'm a dirty casual <laughs> presently. You know what I mean? Like, and, and we're going to try to get better about that. But and I like towed, I towed this like little bit of farm. And I had like 14 inches of movement. Uh, I had about nine, I think I needed maybe 10 to get where I wanted to go. And Cody was like, this like widgets or like three APs. He was just kind of confused. And I was like, look, dude, like what, what's the truth here? Like, and I went full spider threat display, like raised my arms up, like, you know, made myself big, like a, like a big old like bird, you know? And, and, and he was just like one second. Whoa, what's going on? Like, and, and I think at that point, he was like, let's just reset. You know what I mean? And like, I'd seen Cody on some of the, the episodes before and I'd heard Craig talk about him. You know, he's like, Hey, you're going to really enjoy your game going into this guy. He's one of the people I really enjoy playing against. And so we kind of just both were like, uh, we're both being dicks and there's no reason yeah. for this. And it was kind of like, we're seeing the worst out of the other person. And yep. it, you know, it's one of those situations where you're like, wait, we need to be human beings to each other as opposed to like angry nerds. And so, and so, we- so for the, for the listeners uh, uh, to, uh, to just clarify what happened and I don't know whose idea it was, and it really honestly doesn't matter, but at some point Oliver and Cody realized what was happening, right? So they realized that both of them were on the wrong foot. 
Um, Cody thought Oliver was a dick. Oliver thought Cody was a dick. Neither of them were right. Honestly, neither of them were really wrong oh, yeah, either. Yeah, because yeah, Cody yeah, can be a dick right. and Oliver can be a dick. <laughs> but, yeah, who's listening to our episode? I mean, like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we know. We yeah. Know. I mean, look well, at this garbage the- they were playing, right? <laughs> Terror and exactly. <laughs> But here's what's great about it is that, and again, it doesn't matter whose idea it was. You guys said, you know what? You, you, you both walked out of the hall, went out into the hallway reset hit the literally hit the reset button and said let's let's start again let's let's go forward and let's do it and you guys ended up with a great game you guys ended up buddies afterwards and there's a lot of different directions that could have gone um and it's a credit to both of you that you that you didn't let it go that way and that you didn't let the game be more than what the game was, even in a very high pressure situation. So I I'm, wasn't a huge fan of either of you until that point, but uh, afterwards, uh, you guys uh, definitely earned my respect. And, and that was um, one of the things too. Like, I mean, after that point, I made a, you know, it kind of like clicked in my head. I was like, oh, this son of a bitch is a gill ball player. And like, <laughs> it did, and all of a sudden, like, all the lock pieces came into into to to focus, and I was like, oh, he's not being a jerk. He just hates banning tape measures. And, and like for the rest of the game, and I don't know if you noticed this, but like when I did all of my movements, like I did that thing where you put your tape or your widget like on the table and then you pick it up and then push your model into the widget so it doesn't move more. Like I tried to be so much more intentional and like, that's good. And like play, you know, like at that. And, and I think that that's something that's important is just like seeing where your opponent is and like just meeting in the middle. Yeah. I didn't notice you doing that, which is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just, I'm not sure if Steve fell asleep or not, but um, <laughs> Steve, I, have you ever had a situation similar to that where, um, you know, things went off the, you know, got off on the wrong foot and maybe didn't end um, quite as well as it did with Cody and Oliver? But I'm curious to know if you've ever had really loggerheads with a, with another opponent before. Not not really, Malifo. When you go back and look at some other games, there's probably plenty of examples where I've been where Cody was uh, on his yeah. side of the game. I mean, to the point of in competitive tournaments for Warhammer, where I would calculate movement. You know, this is the deployment zone. I'm moving exactly this far. That means there is this much distance between us. And it's mathematically impossible for you to engage my model or shoot at this turn unless you're cheating. And, you know, the good thing about Malifaux is you don't have to do that to your opponent. You don't have to say that to your opponent and you don't have to approach the game that way because one, everything's open information. And then two, generally, my experience with the Malifaux's community has just been a different caliber of person. So that, you know, even when you have a tough game, you know, even when you have some really close games like my game with Andrew or my game with Oliver, uh, or the game with Jesse, you walk away from that game at the end of it, for the most part, feeling good about it and knowing this was a good game, you know, and I enjoyed playing against this person to the to the point of, I, I think pretty much every day since Nova, Oliver and I have been chatting in the background yeah. about different armies and different ideas and different approaches. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's so significant. It's funny because when I'm thinking back to that game with Cody, you know, my main focus thinking through that game is not what our interaction was at the beginning of it, but how I could have played differently, what mistakes I made, what openings I saw from him. 
and and basically like replaying the game itself as opposed to focusing on like interpersonal interaction okay. and and that and that's that's like the big takeaway for me like and he and i've even friended each other on facebook at this point and talked a little bit i mean and it's i think that that like craig was saying like the fact that like we could get up on each other and like be upset and then walk away like that speaks a lot to cody um you know because i mean i i get it like at the end of the day like it, it, it could have looked shady you know what i mean and and i really appreciated like being able to walk away from that game and just know like okay this person's not just like an adversary like they're they're now someone i can play a game with and enjoy and i look forward to the next game even with that happening well, let me clarify oliver cody's married okay so like, turn it down just a little <laughs> bit just a little <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa steve's the main bay i don't know what you mean <laughs> no it um it was a great event guys um it, uh, I boasted about it on Facebook. It was nice to see friends of the show do so well. Um, I wasn't surprised, um, but it was happy to see it happen. Um, and uh, it was a great way to launch the USFO Tour. We've got uh, a lot of events coming up. There's uh, At the end of the, the month, probably around the time this episode comes out, we've got an event at the Carolinas. But the big thing I do want to plug, um, and I'm hoping everybody uh, here on the show is going to be there, and I hope everybody listening can show up, is we've got kind of a mid-season event here in the Carolinas. It's going to be a five-rounder over two days um, in mid-December, um, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes, so make sure you um, check it out. Um, guys, uh, we covered a lot in two hours. Um, I think uh, some, with some really interesting and key t- takeaways. Uh, Steven, uh, sometimes you have plugs, sometimes you don't. So anything you want to plug this time? No, I'm good. Thanks. It was a blast. I enjoyed playing against all you guys. I look forward to doing it again. Well, we had a good time going out for dinner and stuff afterwards. So it was was nice to actually spend time with each other. Um, so I agree. Uh, how about you, Cody? Uh, no, just, I'm more likely to respond to DMs on Instagram. Oafish Cody. All right, great. I'll put a link to your Instagram. Jump in my Alliance Guild. (laughs) (laughs) how about you oliver yeah so the big thing is just that we'll be starting a a bayou um youtube channel um which is pretty exciting um we'll see how that goes um so i'm I'm pretty excited about that and uh, i'm just glad i wasn't full of shit you know i've talked a big game and uh (laughs) i'm glad i was able to actually place because it would have been embarrassing if uh, oh five this thing (laughs) yeah it uh you had a lot of a lot of soft stuff up there in the Capital City Conference. You're going to come down and play some hard stuff down at the Carolinas. So <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see how things end up then. Um, uh, all right, guys. Uh, thanks again. Um, all the links are in the show notes, and uh, I appreciate you listening. Take care. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. 
swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes.